Hello, and welcome back to Remember the Film, the podcast that's been drunk since we've been back, Mom, and no one gave two shits till this one got all bent out of shape. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Bradley. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, one of whom is probably hoping that I bleeped the swear word that I just did in the intro, and that is uh, the pride of his hometown, Jeff Grizzolrich. What's up, Grizz? <laughs> the pride of his hometown. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't remember Houston? <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I'm just saying like, this is the movie about going back to your hometown. Oh, okay, and, no, that's know, I get it. I get what you you're know, doing. You know, I'm doing a small, thing. Little suburban town. I'm doing a thing. Houston. I'm feeling good today. Feeling good today. Uh, glad to be back with you guys, and uh, yes. happy to finally talk about this movie that you know we watched yes. a, a little that while ago, <laughs> delaying for several weeks. And we're also joined by our other co-host, by the reason uh, why who drinks hard, <laughs> who drinks hard jacks, Hugo Panay. What's up, Hugo? All the time. Look, just finished one. There it is. <laughs> Um, Hugo's hammered right now. Hammered, but he's Absolutely. he's he's Italian hammered. He's Italian hammered, which is like you know, casual. Yeah, you know, I'm not pro- like professional you know, hammered. These, yeah. these these Americans who You're start European drinking drunk. at 27 yeah. or whatever. You know, not yeah, a, not exactly. Italian American hammered. Like Italian hammered. Yeah. What is this? Classy <laughs> hammered. A joke. Um, yeah, doing good. Anyway, just came back from holiday, so kind of feeling. Where, yeah. Where did you go? You were on on vacay. Yeah, I went to Thailand for like. 11 days and it was great um nice, man it's kind of expensive to get there just because flights cost a stupid amount right now because of things happening in the world and yes. uh but once you're there it is extremely cheap and all the food is great and you can do a whole bunch of stuff without spending a lot of money which is good i guess you fly east to go to thailand don't you yeah we went through That's weird. Istanbul. That, that and would then make sense. To yeah. Thailand. Yeah. 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 I fly west if I'm going to Thailand. Did yeah. you yeah. just have a connection in Turkey, or did you have any time in Turkey as well? No, we did not. We only had like three hours at the airport. Okay. So yeah, there was no time to you know go around Istanbul. But sorry, Turkey. It was also like I'm supposed to, also... we're supposed to be calling them. They Turkey has declared they want to be referred to as Turkey now. Well, Turkey Turkey-A. declares a lot of things, so. Because they're sick of being compared to a poultry. Well, I, apparently that's just that how eat. it actually is pronounced in Turkey. No, no, no. It is turkey. <laughs> like, I'm well, not I'm going to start calling I'm, my sandwich turkey you, not. I'm not expecting you know. to say Italia <laughs> every time. Like, come on. Okay, but okay. why don't we expect that? <laughs> because because of hegemonic, cult, uh, you know, American, uh, uh, you know, cultural imperialism. Yeah, baby. Let's not Woo! go there. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, so during your during your holiday, Hugo, did you were you able to watch any movies? Like, what, what have you been watching the last like three weeks since we last? Recorded? I have actually watched remember. a few movies during the holiday. Um, you know, there there were uh, the, the thing about Thailand is they eat quite early, so we had dinner. Well, early for us, like in Italy, we eat around eight p.m. and they they eat at like six thirty, and so by ten most nights you would be home unless you're doing something specific. Um, so we did actually end up watching a few movies. We we, but we watched, like, rom-coms and stuff. So we watched both Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail, which makes Josh very happy because he, he was on a Nora Ephron kick. Uh, very much so. Spoke. Great movies, and yes. they are both absolutely delightful. Um, you know, no notes. They, they're just great. Um, they're just very, Which very... one did you prefer of the two? Hmm. Okay, I gave both four stars because I think they're both great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... I think I slightly preferred You've Got Mail. Is that what? What's the common? Me too. 
What's the common opinion? I don't actually know. You're more wise. I was kind of, I was kind of, I was always of the opinion that before I'd seen either one, I was of the opinion that Sleepless had like a slightly higher reputation than You've Got Mail. Mm. Maybe it's just because it's first. Right. Uh, maybe it's just because also like it. They're both dated, but like for some reason, You've Got Mail or Sleepless in Seattle like feels less dated. But I'm not sure that's true. Actually, now that I've seen them it, both, um, I've seen neither. And, but I do want to say, just from like the cultural aspect, I feel like Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, would feel less dated than you've got mail because you've got mail is directly a pun based on yes. the sound effect of opening your email you on AOL. Mail? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but also like, but the, the premise of both movies is like, you know, finding love across time and space, right. Mm-hmm. Through whatever means is available to you in the early nineties and the late nineties. So like call and radio shows are also a very dated thing, which is Extremely, the, you know, yeah. the plot mechanics of the, of sleepless in Seattle. So like, I guess the short answer is I've always thought Sleeps in Seattle had a slightly higher reputation, but I personally prefer You've Got Mail. And now that I've seen them both, I'm less sure that Sleeps in Seattle actually has a higher reputation. Maybe that's just like, I don't know, me misreading things. But yeah. Yeah. Like, to some extent, just Sleepless in Seattle is such a good title and a good little... Like, I think the premise of Sleepless in Seattle is so strong. Like the idea of this father who lost his wife and that it just so happens that his son calls a radio show to find him a new person. Like, it's just like, that's a, such a solid thing to explain. Whereas you got, you got mail does, you know, when you explain what the movie is, it does feel like it might be a little dated, but I don't know. Ultimately, like it, it felt nostalgic for a time that I haven't lived. And I think whenever a movie uh, makes me feel that nostalgia for something that I don't have any experience with, it's doing something right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I. But yeah, again, I really, really enjoyed both. Good movies. Um, yeah, very good. I also caught a few movies on flights, uh, especially all the way back. I just could not get to sleep at all because there's good what, time to watch movies, man. There was this on plane rides. Really annoying couple behind me who would not shut up all night. It's tough. Um, it's tough. But I actually got to see a movie that hasn't released in Italy yet, which is Kimmy. Uh, Steven mm. Soderbergh's. Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, uh, Zoe Kravitz, uh, yeah. Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, Zoe Kravitz. It is yeah. Zoe Kravitz, yeah. That movie hasn't released yeah. in Italy yet, and but it was on the flight huh. for some reason. So I guess I was like, ah, I guess I can do some homework on this flight and see something I couldn't see. Um, good movie. I actually really, really enjoyed it. Like, it's definitely the best thing I've seen that features COVID so far. Like, hmm. it... Because, like, COVID isn't the, the, the main plot point. It's kind of peppered in. And movie, I think the movie is shot either on a very simple digital camera or entirely on an iPhone, from what I understand. Steven like, Soderbergh has made a couple movies on an iPhone. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure if Kimmy is one of yeah, them, but sure he has made at least two. But you can tell, like, this movie is so economical. And it's, like, shot in, like, three locations, and it's 90 minutes, and it's a very simple premise. And But it, I think it, it it's something so satisfying about a film that is so simple but just delivers on each of its ideas, and that's yeah. it, and then gets out of its own way. Um, so I, I really, haven't gotten to watch it yet. I really, really enjoyed yeah. it. I know it's on HBO Max in the United States. And it's been <laughs> on my list for a bit. I know that a lot of people will, like, you know, it's on, granted, the year is young, but, like, it's a lot on a lot of, like, best of the year so far lists mm-hmm. that I've seen. But I just haven't, haven't given it a shot yet. But, you know, it's love good. Soderbergh, so. It's good. Very good. I also watched, uh, what else did I watch? Well, speaking of more recent stuff, I actually got to see Nope in theaters. Uh, yeah, man. A few days ago. That movie rules. Yes. It's it's good. It's quite good. Especially like just on a visual like 
spectacle level and so the you sound think that the it acting. got to the spectacle level that jordan peele was going for that, like, that's what the whole point of the movie was for him he wanted to make a movie that was a spectacle that's what he said do you think it achieved I, that i think so i think like in a it, it felt very classical in a way like it's a very again a very kind of contained simple premise with kind of a large scale on on a visual level without it being you know oh it's it's a UFO movie, you know, without going into details, but it's not like, oh, what what is the significance of the UFOs being here for the whole world or whatever? It's like a very simple, contained little thing, and I appreciated that too. I did not like it as much as Get Out in Us. Just I think there's it it is very spectacular and it is very I think it has a few interesting points that it makes, but it, I I guess I was waiting for the narrative to have that extra idea that i didn't find but i feel like if i watched it again i would would enjoy it more just because i just on a pure technical I think I will too yeah on a pure like technical level and just as a throwback to a type of movie that we don't really get as much anymore it it, it was very impressive i thought that there were moments that did reach the level of spectacle that i feel like he was shooting for yes. and then there were other moments that was like oh okay well it's good but again i, I don't think it reached get out levels i haven't seen us because no. i heard us was way scarier than get out and get out was already pretty scary so yeah <laughs> uh, well nope is i thought nope was great because it's like it's about spectacle it's it, like yes yeah kind of the everything the movie is about is about spectacle and like what captures your attention and how you give it your attention yeah, etc yeah, yeah. and i also think i think like in terms of like visuals like it's interesting how much the camera does draw your attention to the sky in mm-hmm. a way that's subtly really good um and also it's been a minute since we've had like a a new take on what aliens can look like Mm -hmm. and like yeah uh just the just the character design i guess and the creature design is really really phenomenal especially in the last like 15 minutes of the movie uh it's like pretty dazzling yeah um and also there's never and the reason i think i would like it more on second watch is like on first watch i was just so engrossed in like what's going to happen next yes and that's pretty rare uh, it's pretty rare that i'm not ever ahead of a movie for like a second i'm never ahead of it so and I was just so, so engrossed in, like, the, the story itself that, like, I wasn't really paying as much attention to the filmmaking. And I feel like if I watched it a second time, I'd like it a lot more. I also think, I that's a, I think that's also kind of a double-edged sword for this movie specifically. Because in a sense, yeah. you're, what you're trying to guess could, end, for me at least, could end up being larger than what the movie ends up being. There are elements that's in the true. movie, yeah. that there is are what elements in the movie where after you've watched it, you're like, well... What was that about? And then you think did about it. it amount, and, did it amount to anything? Yeah. yeah and, and then you think about it and it kind of does. But at the same time, you the way, because the filmmaking is so dazzlingly good, you're expecting it to the conclusion to bring it all together in, I guess, in a more powerful way. But but again, knowing where the story is going, I think on a rewatch, it, it would work better for me. Um, but again, like I really enjoyed it. I really appreciate that he's able to make these movies. I hope he gets to continue to do it i mean the movie did pretty well at the box yeah i mean it's not like uh didn't do as well as as get out and us though jordan peele is going to be a a director for a very long time he is yeah he he has not made a bad movie yet no so you know i i don't i don't imagine anyone's gonna be like okay that's enough of him (laughs) No. and then well i also got watched godzilla versus kong on the flight but we don't need to talk about that that's just dumb and uh, I watched uh, Shoplisters and First Reformed, other movies that I caught that were both just excellent, like 
I had not seen them before. Um, First Reformed, just such insanely a, good movie. Such an insane. It's yeah, so good. It's ridiculous. First Reformed good. is dazzlingly good. Yeah, yeah. it's a nuts. bummer. A real bummer. It is a bummer, but yeah. it's awesome. But I haven't seen but it. it. It's so good. Like I really, really like First Reformed a lot. Yes, you, you really should like watch it. it. Yeah. it's not like because I think you might not have seen it just because it sounds like it could be. I know it's not about the Catholic Church. No, it's not. No, 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 no. no, no but no, it is. No. But it I, is I, about I, religion. It, yes, so, eh, kind of. Like it's, I mean, it's about. It is about religion. It's about wrestling with your own. Like I think it's kind of about wrestling with an inner conflict between what your personal beliefs are, uh, on both a political and religious level, and what those how those beliefs are reflected or not in the institutions that. The right. theoretically represent you is which i think it, it, it's is something that is very interesting regardless of whether it's uh, religion specifically or not but that that is why i, I think didn't it's about, watch it at first was yeah. because I, I think it's 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 about staring into oblivion it, it's about it, hopelessness it, it is also that yes and like absolutely. you know it, both in like a religious context and also a a personal context and also like a global con you know context yes um and and one and one man dealing with his hopelessness, uh, and I think it's excellent. It's, Again, tough yes. sit, but it's excellent. Also, it's just visually wild. And Paul Schrader, our guy Paul Schrader. Ethan I don't think the ca- I don't so think the good. camera moves except for like the last. I think the last scene of the movie, the camera actually moves. Other than that, I don't think the camera moves in the movie. So it's very like mm-hmm. simply staged, but very very well staged. Amanda Seyfried's great in it. Um, mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke should have been nominated for Best Actor and wasn't, and that's yeah. a that's a travesty. Something that can be said um, more than once, but I think it was Paul Schrader's first and only Oscar nomination, despite the fact that he wrote Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, which is insane to me, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. Yeah, uh, great movie, man. Yeah, first performed. Yeah, great movie. What have you guys watched? Anything else? Okay, so that's it. Grizz, let's go to you. Okay, so. I've been pretty busy with movies the last several weeks. Uh, Basically, like, the day after we recorded our last episode, Hugo made some offhanded comment about a Pixar movie in one of our uh, messenger chats. And I I started, you know, talking about where I had movies ranked, and he said that my rankings were, you know, wrong, you know, as we always do whenever we talk about our rankings. (laughs) So... And so I started thinking that maybe it's been a while since I've watched most of these. Maybe on a, a rewatch, I would, you know, find new appreciation in some of these classic Pixar movies that I, I haven't seen in a very long time. So I, uh, but of course, I can't just watch. I just can't. I can't do anything simply. I then made the decision to watch every short and film and documentary, every everything that Pixar Studios has ever produced. Everything, I, everywhere, all at once. And I've watched, in the last several weeks, I have watched 146 total entries on Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's, I have one more thing from Pixar that I, I have yet to watch because it's not available anywhere legitimately on the internet. And that is Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, <laughs> The Adventure Begins, which apparently uh, the Pixar has since <laughs> disowned. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, they don't they don't have it available anywhere, but I uh, it, my rankings did change a little bit, you know. So it was a, a worthwhile endeavor, and also now I am an expert on Pixar. I know more than everyone. It's a fact. I I don't think there's <laughs> right. a single person who works at Pixar who has seen more Pixar content than you have. 
Like they, no. they, they must all have at least missed a few of the shorts. I, I so episodes wh- and stuff. Go ahead, Josh. Question: Where's Ratatouille on the list? So on my and why isn't list, it number one, Jeffrey? Because he's already mad at me about this. Because he's anti-European, Hugo. Ratatouille is at number nine on my list okay. of hundred and what is it? One hundred forty-six. I said 100, sorry, one hundred forty Pixar entries. I, I watched six other things in addition to Pixar in the last in the intervening weeks. Uh, but uh, I'll just give you my top ten, and you guys can can take it for what you will. Uh, number ten, Monsters Inc. Number nine, okay. Ratatouille. Number eight, Onward, which is a controversial take, I know, but I love it. My eyebrows are raised. Uh, number seven, The Incredibles. Six, Toy Story. Five, Jerry's Game, the short oh my God. Uh, for, that played before A Bug's Life. Uh, I know it well, yes. <laughs> I know it well. Where he Four. cleans. It's the one where he cleans Woody? No, no he cleans. No, it's that, the one where he, he, he's playing a chess game against himself. Ah, yeah. right. Yes, 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 yes. And then he does that. appear the, the, in Toy Story 2. Right, the as, cleaning as, of Woody is in the actual movie. Okay, yes. Uh, it's just like new! <laughs> uh, so, number five, Jerry's Game. Number four, Up. Number okay. three, Toy Story 3. Number okay. two, Coco. And number one is Finding Nemo. Mm, okay. So, I think I think most of those would be in most people's top tens for Pixar. Uh, but in different order, except I, I think I'm confident that no one has Jerry's game in their top 10 because okay. people don't make top 10s with shorts in them most of the time. Yes. And, <laughs> and definitely no one has on other than me. The two that should be in your top 10 and are not are Wally and Inside Out. So Wally is at 12 and Inside Out is at 14 on my list. Okay. Uh, the one thing I did learn, so yeah. the one thing I did learn uh, during this endeavor is just how trash Mater is. And everything <laughs> Mater touches turns to crap. And I don't know if I want to blame Larry the Cable Guy, because I don't think it's his fault that Pixar chose to take Mater and run with it. But, it, I mean, I swear to God, some of the worst content available anywhere, anywhere, <laughs> is related to Mater. It is just awful. Cars in general, not my favorite franchise, but I no. enjoy the car. Ka-chow. I enjoy Cars One and I enjoy Cars Three. And do you know why I enjoy those? Because they were about lightning and not Mater. Everything else mm. is about Mater. Why? Why are like? Oh, the kids love Mater. Stop it. Give the kids something good to watch. <laughs> you you give true. them Mater, they're gonna watch Mater. Give them lightning, they'd watch lightning. So why? Are so we- oh, sorry. <laughs> a co-host, a co-host of a podcast that Hugo and I both really like. Uh, Mike Check, Griffin yes. Newman, likes likes to. He has a bit where he says, "Cars three makes Cars two look like Cars one." Yes, <laughs> and I haven't seen the I haven't seen the I've Cars sequels, that. so I don't really know what that means. But I think it's fun and funny to say. So yeah, I say Cars, that, even though I don't know what it like, means. For me, Cars two and The Good Dinosaur are the only like bad Pixar movies. Everything so, else is at least okay. Like well, even so that my the ones feeling that I don't is that. Love. My feeling is even that Cars 2 and The Good Dinosaur are okay. They are bad by comparison to good Pixar movies. Sure. But in the pantheon of movies, they're okay. They're, they're, they they could, are a, an enjoyable experience overall. There. And I've right. seen worse. So For sure, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. seen worse. Uh, if anyone's curious uh, what the bottom ten are, uh, at 131, it's Miss Fritter's Racing School. 132 <laughs> is, is Dory Finding. 
which is uh, like a two-minute short. Is that a knockoff? It's, is they, that a knockoff of Finding they Dory? Did Pixar did this series of shorts called Pixar Popcorn, and it's mostly uh, shorts that are like two minutes long that have no dialogue whatsoever. Uh, Why did you watch these? It's, because I wanted to watch everything Pixar had ever made. And so I swear okay. to God, Dory Finding is just Dory going around and finding things and interacting with them. So that's well, good that's, for Dory. Excellent. Uh, 133, Hiccups, <laughs> which is about the time Lightning McQueen got the hiccups. <laughs> uh, then uh, Forky asks a question, what is a leader? Uh, another uh, great, great in, in fake quotes, uh, Unparalleled Parking, another Pixar popcorn short about uh, cars. Uh, heavy Metal Mater, Spinning, which is again a two-minute short uh, featuring Guido spinning a sign. Uh, and then uh, Bugged, which is about uh, a, a Volkswagen Beetle, which in the Cars universe are actual bugs, apparently. And then Dancing Close. with... Dancing with the Cars uh, at 139, and the worst thing Pixar's ever made, Mater the Greater, which is about Mater being evil can evil. All right, good for Mater. That's, there you go. That's what I've been watching the did last you, several weeks. <laughs> so you didn't you didn't watch anything besides Pixar stuff? I mean, you I, watched the 146 things. I did so. watch uh, a couple other things. I watched uh, um, Lord of the Rings, uh, Fellowship of the Ring. I'm, I'm in the middle of my Lord of the Rings rewatch. Uh, and the show's coming out soon, right? Yes. And then um, I watched. What else did I watch? There was something else. Hard to find it, it, in it the letterbox I mean, now, isn't oh, it? I watched uh, Miss Congeniality, hmm. which I, I'd never seen before, yeah. and it's it is a good, good movie, movie, and it holds up remarkably well. Uh, and then I, I also Pratt. watched uh, Bullet Train, which I would mm. suggest if you haven't gotten a chance to see Bullet Train, it's a ton of fun. It is. Just it's really really good action. It's a, it's got sort of a raid uh, raid redemption type of quality mm. uh, or dread even where you're like restrained to the this one location. In this case, it's the bullet train, uh, and uh, so it, they they make a really good use of the space that they occupy in in that movie, and it is a ton of fun. Um, bullet so, train bullet train is a weird one because it's one of those movies that. The critical reception has not been amazing. I think it's had like a 50-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But like, which usually coincides with Letterboxd. Like, Letterboxd is usually kind of more in line with critics rather than like, you know, other user rating type sites. But it has a 3.6 on Letterboxd, which is pretty good. Pretty positive, yeah. It's interesting, yeah. Well, that could be indicative uh-huh. of a shift in Letterboxd where they they continue to gain more users, and the more they users they be. gain, the more weird, mainstream I, yeah. it might become. Uh, the only other thing I watched that I can find without having to search all over for it is uh, DC League of Super Pets. Sure. Which ah, uh, was... Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson. Yes. Who How I much do, Keanu as Batman is there? There is, is not enough. There is not enough Keanu as Batman. He, I mean, it, the the stuff is good. Where Keanu is Batman, and John Krasinski is Superman. Remarkably good voice for Superman. Now that I think about it, right? Uh, but uh, the movie itself, uh, ultimately forget forgettable. But uh, if you're gonna watch it with your kids, I'm sure your kids will love it. Uh, sure. It was it was good overall. That's what Fair I've enough. watched recently. If, if we'd so, like to talk more Pixar sometime, just let me know. I got, <laughs> I got a lot of thoughts. I'll, you'll, you'll be my first call whenever I don't want to talk anything you Pixar. Should, you should also go read some of my reviews because there's moments where I think I get a little loopy. 
and the reviews. Letterbox.com <laughs> slash Good Game Grizz for all Grizz Letterbox content. Um, I guess for what I've been watching, I'll start with Bullet Train because you mentioned it. Uh, I didn't love it. I didn't. I didn't like it that much, honestly. Um, I think it has a real tone problem, which leads to a stakes problem. Does that make sense? I can see that. You mean it's? it's yeah. it, it, there's a lot of humor, which I was not expecting. Which normally I would like, but I think that it kind of tries to have have its cake and eat it too, where it like has some swings at some big emotional moments actually like, a lot of swings at some big emotional moments and like i did not feel them at all because i didn't feel any sense of stakes because the tone undermined any attempted stakes i think and it was also like maybe 40 minutes too long which i don't like being the guiding plane that a movie's long but i was exhausted by the time it was over and like honestly when, when, it, when there was like 40 minutes left i thought we were approaching the ending and i was just kind of waiting for it to end and then it just like it just kept going and then like characters who we thought were dead came back to life and then other characters died and i'm just like Whew. Uh, I ran out of candy a long time ago, so I need to get out of this theater. But anyway, Bolt <laughs> Train was okay. It was all right. Um, I like Brad Pitt. Uh, let's see. Who doesn't? Rewinding, clock, rewinding the clock back a bit. I rewatched No Control of Men. Perfect movie. I rewatched Little Miss Sunshine. Just absolutely delightful. I love the ending of that movie so much. Uh, I rewatched Licorice Pizza because it's finally on Amazon Prime, and uh, I love it more now than I did last year, and it was already my favorite movie of last year. Uh, speaking of PTA, I rewatched The Wood Blood, perfect movie, no notes. Um, I watched Training Day, which, um, I, I, it was like two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and I just put, fired up HBO and put Training Day on and there may not be a better movie in the world to watch at two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon than Training Day. That's my review <laughs> of Training Day. I can see that. Um, good movie. Uh, I caught Bodies, Bodies, Bodies in the theater, which is something that we briefly mentioned off mics. So we're talking about Lee Pace. Um, it's good. I liked it. Uh, it was really fun. Um, I'm not sure what I was expecting, but it wasn't quite what I was expecting, but it, it was really fun. It was good. Um, Hugo, are you, are you listening to the Kubrick Blank Check series? I am, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, I watched it? Fear and Desire, mm, right. which was his first movie. Um, I didn't not like very it good, much. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's... It's like sixty. It's like sixty-two minutes long, and it's basically yeah. like um, to to paraphrase what they said on Blank Check. Like it was basically Kubrick's film school, where like he kind of didn't know how to make a movie, so he just kind of like failed his what not failed, but like he just like yeah. figured it out on the fly while making a movie. And like he apparently disowned it, and like doesn't really care much for it himself. And like I get why it's not it's not particularly mm. good, but you know, especially whatever. for somebody who so now. would later become so exceedingly controlling of everything that he yeah. makes like i could see how for him having this one thing be so public that just was kind of a random yeah. weird attempt yeah yeah would not yeah. be very flattering but yeah i don't know i i watched i watched the first half of killer's kiss which is the kubrick second movie yeah. and i don't think i, I finished yeah. it so i'm not gonna say that i didn't add that to my letterbox i did watch the killing though which is kubrick's third movie which is the good. killing is awesome yeah it's so good dude yeah. like it was great is it um, weird no, no, it's just like okay, a cool. it's just a heist movie. And I'll add uh, that it's to a, my, my watch list because it's I, kind of like Reservoir Dogs in a weird oh, way, cool. or like Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, like Reservoir Dogs, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Like yeah, and Sterling Hayden is the main guy, uh, Captain McCluskey from The Godfather, if you're familiar, or the General Ripper from Doctor Strangelove, if you're familiar with that too. Um, it's great. I was like, especially after Fear and Desire, which I didn't like, and Killer's Kiss, which I didn't finish. I was like, okay, am I just like not into early Kubrick? And then the killing rules. 
Like I was, I was extremely impressed by how watchable it was and how, how well it holds up. Uh, big recommend for the killing. Um, especially if you're into Kubrick. Uh, I just threw on predator this week, um, which I had not seen, but there's a new, uh, legacy sequel out on Hulu called oh, Prey. I watched that as well. I watched Prey. Okay. I'm going to watch Prey soon, but I have not yet, but I watched Predator and uh, it's awesome. <laughs> it's really cool. I, uh, I'm bummed that it took me, you know, so many years to finally see it. Predator, Predator's, Predator's, Predator's really cool. fun, dude. Yeah. It's the first time I've seen Predator. It's yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. I liked it a lot. Um, get to the chopper. <laughs> last... Yeah, Sorry. get to the chopper. That's the famous <laughs> yes, line. Yes, that is thank the you thing. for that, that is, Arnold. Yes. Uh, and last... Uh, oh, uh... Last weekend, I watched a movie that my wife really likes. Um, it's called Get Over It from 2001, starring Kirsten Dunst and Ben Foster. Um, it's about high, high schoolers who put on Midsummer Night's Dream, and that's kind of it. It's good. She likes it. I liked it less, but it, it's, it was good. Um, speaking of Shakespeare, last night I watched Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. Laurence Olivier's Hamlet, the Best Picture winner of 1948, where Laurence Olivier adapted directed and starred in hamlet how's that hold that, up? that um, sounds like homework uh <laughs> to an extent um it's good though yeah, um sure. it's been a minute since i've seen kenneth Branagh's hamlet but the thing is is kenneth Branagh's hamlet from 1996 is unabridged so it's like four plus hours long Lawrence olivier had the decency to well i don't know if decency <laughs> right, but he oh, cut that's down. the right word <laughs> He cut it down a lot. So the Olivier version is only two and a half hours, and there's some stuff missing. Like, again, I haven't read Hamlet since high school, but, like, I noticed that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern weren't in this version at all. I noticed that Fortinbras wasn't in this version at all. So, like, they definitely compressed and cut. And so, But, like, I also didn't, like, you know, again, I'm not a Hamlet purist, but I didn't, like, I didn't feel anything missing. It felt pretty complete to me watching it, but um, it's good. So there's some pretty, like, So you cool would make staging. edits on William Shakespeare. Yes, you, that's not what that I'm is saying. what he's saying. <laughs> that is what, what he saying. is saying. Well, I mean, after 500 years, maybe the guy could use an error. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> not for me to say. Not for me to say. Um, it's good, though. Uh, I don't really know what a German expressionism is exactly, but like this looked a lot like uh, Joel Cohen's Macbeth from last year, which people compared to German expressionism. So I'm assuming this was also influenced by German expressionism, even though I'm not really sure what that means. But I have seen things that people compare to it, so <laughs> let's go with that. Um and that's that's pretty much what I've been, what I've been watching. Um, a few movies in theaters, a few Kubricks. I gotta get to Paths of Glory so I, I can say, listen I, the next. I love Paths like, of check Glory. Episode, Paths of Glory, which I've is never seen. Yeah, one of the best war films. Nice. Just like, did he do Spartacus? He, he also did. did Spartacus. Yes. Okay. So, like, so I gotta get to that. This too. is what this is like. Kubrick to me is always like a tale of two people because like he has some like very grounded quote-unquote normal like kind of sure. movies and then he has you know 2001 clockwork orange and you know where things get weird you know they get real weird <laughs> well i think that so i've seen the earliest kubrick i've seen is strange love which is one of my favorite movies we've done it on this we've done an episode on on the show we all love strange love. um and i'm realizing i haven't seen anything before that and i think that like his more normal movies quote-unquote Granted, Lolita is also before Strangelove, so I don't know about that. But, like, um, you know, Paths of Glory, The Killing. You know, The Killing is just a heist movie. Paths of Glory is just a, a war movie, etc. Like, so, like, Paths of Glory, they get weirder after Paths of Glory is a movie about war, but it is not a war movie. That yes. is my stance on it. It is. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. But it's, like, it's it, just because I, I just want you to go in with as little yeah, expectation as possible. Yeah, go in and, and, and watch, good. But like watch it's, the movie, because you really should. 
It's just excellent, is all I'll say. It's quite good. Grace, you got to watch The Killing Man. I it's, will. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's my I watch really enjoyed right it now. a lot. And I think like I, I had it on, and like Katie was just like in the room, and she half watched most of it too, which I think is a a, a ringing endorsement of like a you know a movie from the fifties that she just kind of sits there and like actually watches a good amount of. What so. about Barry Lyndon? Have you guys seen Barry Lyndon? Yes, I have seen Barry Lyndon. Yes, is that is that a weird one or a, or a normie one? It's well, neither. that's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think it's that weird. I don't think it's that weird. I think it's it's three and a half hours of it's three beautiful hours. three Not three and a half. It feels like three and a half hours um <laughs> of beautiful it it's one of those like movies that i watched and i was like this is a nine out of like i'm giving it nine out of ten on letterbox i don't know if i ever want to watch that again got it okay which and i, I watched and i'm a big it. i really really love most of kubrick's films that i've seen so it's like yeah i i watched it and talked about it with some people um recently and the consensus among the three of us none of us had seen it before we didn't like it very much Mm. on first viewing but um i'm like already softening on it yeah uh quite a bit um i think it's one of those like let it wash over you movies don't be concerned so much about it's more an exercise in aesthetics than narrative and an exercise in visuals than narrative uh which isn't a bad thing but like you just kind of know that going in and it is very long but uh, I actually think I might like Barry Lyndon, uh, even though a month ago I would have said that I didn't. I think it's um, excellent. But I also yeah. think yeah. it's you have to be in the right mood for it. It's like I agree. Kubrick yes. is one of those directors that like I, I feel like I need to watch everything he made, even yes. though mm-hmm. I two of his most popular movies I I don't I mean I, I I like them, but I don't like them to the extent that anyone else does. So like people think like two thousand one and Clockwork Orange. I think are good movies, but for most people, they're like among the greatest of all time. They're in the canon. Yeah, yeah they're in so... the canon for sure. <laughs> See, Meanwhile, like, for me, I I'm love... not necessarily the biggest Clockwork Orange guy, for example. Um, but I think... I think I think people are. I think you're a Clockwork Orange guy when you're like 17, 18, 19 years old, and then you grow out yeah. of being a Clockwork Orange guy. And That's my take. Meanwhile, on. I like The Shining a lot. I like I love Doctor Strangelove, and I, I really like Paths of Glory, and even Full Metal Jacket. Uh, I mean, I think that the first half of I Full Metal Jacket is way better than the second half of Full Metal Jacket, but... Uh, oh, yeah. I love both halves, but yeah, that's... I mean, I, I, again, I like the second half, but, like, the first half was, like, 10 out of 10, and then the second half was, you know, 7 out of 10, so, you know. <laughs> I want to be the first kid on my block with a confirmed kill. Um, so, Stanley Kubrick's the director that you feel like you see all of his movies. Is Jason Reitman such a director? Great Chris? segue. Great segue. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. I mean... Not we're yet, halfway I there. Say. Like we've already I mean, covered like two of them on the podcast. So yeah, I mean, I like him. I like him, and uh, so I would not be opposed to having eventually watched everything he's made. But he, I'm not going to sit down and watch 140 Jason Reitman movies like I did for Pixar. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this is later in the outline. But let's let's just jump right into it. Uh, Hugo, what Jason Reitman movies have you seen? I've seen Juno, which Juno. I feel like everyone has seen. And I've yeah. seen Thank You for Smoking for the podcast. I've seen Young Adult for yes. the podcast. I've also seen yes. Up in the Air. It's a yes. fun little movie. I also like that one quite a bit. Like, it didn't blow me away, but it's fun. And uh, I have also regrettably seen Ghostbusters Afterlife, which <laughs> depressed me a lot. It's not terrible. All right. 
It's not terrible, but it just made me sad. Is what that's, I'll say. That's fair, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Grizz, how about you? I have seen Thank Ready. You for Smoking, obviously, as I chose it for Which was his first movie, yes. Uh, I've seen Juno, and now Which I've seen Young movie. Adult. That's it? Just those three? Just those three. Okay. Now, I've, I've had Up in the Air on my radar, obviously, because it was a you know an Oscar-nominated film. Uh, so it's been on I my radar. I really like Up in the Air. I really like Up in the Air a lot. And maybe I like I'm overvaluing it, but um, I don't know, man. I thought it was great when it came out. I watched it in the pandemic and still thought it was great. Um, I like that one a lot. And I also uh, seen... want to see The Front Runner would be the other one that I want to see, but not because I've heard anything yeah, good about it, same. But, but because I like political an... movies. So <laughs> I've heard I've heard great things about The Front oh, Runner. Oh, have you? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that a theatrical release, or is that just an HBO movie? I don't recall. I think it was theatrically released. It was 2018, uh, so... I'm pulling it up. Premiered at the Italian Radio Film Festival. Box office bomb. Okay, so I guess it did get in theaters at some point. Um, you know what? I'm thinking of uh, the Hugh Jackman movie about education, Thousand Janie. I can't remember. Bad Education, I think is what it's called. Uh, sorry. Um, I've seen Thank You for Smoking. I've seen Juno. I've seen Up in the Air. I've seen Young Adult. I have not seen Labor Day or Men, Women, and Children, but I have seen Tully. How's and Tully? I have not seen The Front Runner or Ghostbusters Afterlife. How's Tully? Tully's good. Yeah. It seems uh, good, well, uh, but I did not. I'm, I'm, so the next question is Diablo Cody. So Diablo Cody is the screenwriter of several of these movies. They have, they've collaborated on, I guess, three movies together. But she wrote Juno, she wrote this, and she wrote Tully. Mm-hmm. So Reitman, Cody have three movies together, two of which star Charlize Theron. I've seen all three. This is probably my favorite of the three, honestly. I think I like this more than Juno, Young Adult, that is. Um, but what's interesting about Young Adult, especially in the context of Jason Reitman, is that it kind of ruined his career slightly, I guess. Really? I mean, just looking at his filmography. Well, I mean, like, look, just look at his filmography. Like, Thank You for Smoking was acclaimed debut movie. His next movie was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. Hmm. His third movie was also nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. And his fourth movie was this which was a bit of a flop, which we'll talk about in a second. And then his next two movies were even bigger flops, being Labor Day and Men, Women, and Children. And then he kind of came back to the well a little bit by returning to Charlie's and Diablo Cody and made Tully, which was not like a huge hit, but I thought it was at least pretty good. Hmm. Um, and now apparently he's just the keeper of the franchises his father made. And that's what yeah. the mode he's going to be in for the sequel future. I mean, so. you can make a pretty good career being the keeper of franchises that his father made. You can, but after thinking for smoking Juno and up in the air, I think people had higher hopes anticipate for a different trajectory yeah. for him. And then this movie kind of stopped those predictions in their tracks to an extent, I guess. And then the movies after this were a downhill trajectory. Um, but let's let's talk about young adults. I think there's sorry, a sorry. I think there's a flashiness to both. Thank you for smoking and Juno, to an extent that that up in the air and young adults just don't have as much i don't know if you up in the air was what i mean up in the air had some flashy it's had some flashy editing but young adult is definitely a lot more muted yeah compared to his first three movies uh both in the color palette and its style Mm -hmm. um it's very washed out so yeah i I completely know what you mean i mean i think it's that that's appropriate it is no it it absolutely is for the 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 character and the film but i'm just saying maybe like, I don't know, people didn't connect to it initially and felt like it was out of place for him. I don't know. This movie's very gray. 
It is gray. This is a really gray movie. I, I feel like we don't really see the sun at all in this movie. <laughs> no. Or if we do, it's just like for five seconds while Charlize Theron walks across the empty parking lot of a Macy's, it, which is like a pretty depressing context to the sun. It absolutely did not make me want to go to Minnesota is no. what it made me <laughs> feel. Well, the, I think the main character is like, we'll get into this. The main character is like, I think pretty severely depressed oh, in yeah. this movie. So I think like the, the aesthetics of the movie match how she's feeling and kind of put you in her mindset. What do you got, Chris? Well, did we, did we go over like what we've seen from Diablo Cody? Other than this? What have you seen from Diablo I just, Cody? Well, I haven't, and that's why I was curious if you guys had seen anything else from Diablo Cody besides the Ivan Reitman movies uh, that you've seen. Let's see. I, I've seen Juno, which is Jason Reitman. Yes. I've seen Young Adult, Jason Reitman. And I've seen Tully, Jason Reitman. And then I've seen Darren First Body, yes. which uh, was a Karen, Karen Kusama movie in between this and Juno, So, um, which I like. I don't love, but it's pretty good. Yeah. And I believe Jason Reitman produced Jennifer's Body. So, I really like Jennifer's body. I've I've also seen Jennifer's body, and I think it's. And you really cool. love you re- really love Jennifer's body. We get it. You, you just, I don't love it. <laughs> you love Jennifer's love body. I don't. That's. <laughs> oh, God. It's. I, I think the the movie's kind of a mess, but I it think is, it's absolutely when it came it, when it came out, it kind of flopped because it was like Megan Fox Megan Fox post Transformers, and the media did not treat her well. No. Yeah. Um, for some uncomplicated reasons, honestly, and that sucks. But like. It's it's better than the the oh, yeah. reception it got when it came out, but it's also kind of still a bit of a mess. I think it is. So, um, like the, my the review for I it like Karen was Kusama movies. My review for it was Twilight plus Donnie Darko plus crack plus feminism equals <laughs> Jennifer's body, and I stand by that. <laughs> the reason I wanted to ask because you know I, I I love to like let you guys know when I have an embarrassing lapse in my memory, like so mm-hmm. uh, forever, I thought that Diablo Cody wrote Coyote Ugly. Hmm. And there's no right. reason for it other than I think the syllables are kind of similar. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Diablo Cody Ugly. <laughs> Diablo Coyote yeah. Ugly. So, yeah. for some reason, I, I've always thought like she was attached to that movie in some way. And I, I can't find any actual connection between them. But uh... <laughs> No. Juno was her debut film. I know that much. Yeah. And she won Best Original Screenplay for it for her debut movie. So good for her. Um, can we talk about young adult? Yeah, we should in definitely the background talk about therein. Okay, so uh, speaking of Diablo Cody, she was she apparently would so so she wrote Juno, she wrote which about a high schooler, she wrote Jennifer's Body, which is also about a high schooler, and then she wrote this, and apparently it was because she would frequently get asked at Q and A's why she writes young people, mm-hmm. which gave her the idea of a thirty something writer who clings to deluded teenage fantasies in her own life. So it's kind of like uh, taking, you know, people were people were kind of like asking her if she is Mavis B- Mavis Gary right, in this right. movie, and so she wrote she wrote a movie about the person people thought she might be based on the questions she's getting in Q and A's, based on previous work, and you know, Young Adult is a movie about Charlie Slayer and Mavis Gary, who is a young adult ghostwriter uh, for a young adult series, which I think is an interesting choice. Uh, it came out December 9th, twenty eleven. On only eight screens, and then expanded to 986 screens the next weekend. So the weekend of December 16th, 2011, is when it went wide, quote unquote. And uh, it it was only number 10 that weekend it went wide. It made three and a half million dollars. Do you guys want to guess what the number, what the top movies were at the box office December 16th, 2011? And I'll give you a hint. 
The three movies that are opening this weekend are all sequels, and they are number one, two, and three at the box office. Number one was the second movie to see in a franchise that I don't think has had a third movie yet, even though it's been anticipated. Number two is a fourth movie to franchise, and number three is the fifth movie to franchise, I think. So I'm going to guess one of them is a Twilight movie, because okay. that's the right time period for Twilight. Not a Twilight movie. No, that's a good, that's a good guess, though. Uh, Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 is number six at the box office okay. this week. Yeah. Um, what else came out about at that number, time? The, the number one movie, again, it's, it's around a Christmas release. It's debuting December 16th. It's the number one movie of the week. It's the second movie in a series, and there has not been a third movie yet, even though the first two were very successful. Uh, Happy and Feet it stars, 2. No. It stars somebody who is was and is big in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In a non, it was, This was his big movie after his big Marvel movie debut. Is it Chris Hemsworth? It is Sherlock Holmes' A Game of Shadows, ah, which okay. stars Robert right, Downey Jr., which, again, right. the first two, the, the two Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movies were they're very good. successful, and yeah. I don't know why there hasn't been a third one yet. I think that, I, think I think it's actually been in, like, in development hell for, yeah. for 10 years. It's, it's been in the works yeah. over 10 years. Uh, the number two movie was Alvin and the Chipmunks Chipwrecked. Uh, of course, Have you guys seen the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies? Of no. no. Okay, me neither. And then the third movie at the box office was Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Fuck oh, which okay. rules. Yeah, great movie. That's a good movie. That's not the fifth. That's the fourth. I'm sorry. It is I, the I fourth. identified it as the fifth. Yeah. Movie. That's the fourth. I was you like, guys would have gotten it. I, I was like, saying fast yeah, yeah. five? Yeah, we would have got it. If like, like, yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Uh, um, I stand by but yeah, that. Yep. I'm confident that Happy Feet 2 was in movies at that time. Uh, I'm scrolling down. Happy Feet Two is the number was the number thirteen movie at the box office <laughs> that weekend, making making a million dollars. It's been out for five weeks, so good call. Um, but yeah, Young Adult only made three and a half million. It eventually would go on to make twenty uh, nearly twenty three million worldwide, which is split between sixteen domestic and seven ish international. So not great. Um, that's against a twelve million dollar budget, so twenty three million worldwide. Um, like I said, it's the second collaboration between screenwriter Diablo Cody and director Jason Reitman after Juno, and they would go on to collaborate on Tully a few years later. It, it, uh, Young Adult is set in a fictional town called Mercury, Minnesota, and I can't remember if Diablo Cody is from Minnesota, but Juno takes place around Minneapolis. Mm. Um, I think Jennifer's Body takes place in Minnesota, I want to say. Um, United States of Terror, which is a show she show. created. I can't remember if that's in Minnesota or not, but... Regardless, it's uh, another Diablo Cody takes place in Minnesota project. But Mercury, Minnesota is fictional. It's presumably a few-hour drive from Minneapolis, which is where she Charlie Theron lives in this movie. is from Lyle, Illinois, wherever that is. Illinois. Well, so I think it's I, near Chicago. I, was say, I imagine I it's sort of a Chicago. similar thing where it's a suburb, small town, a small yeah. town suburb of a larger city. Yeah, makes sense. She she had different she had different writing jobs before she became a screenwriter, and I think she worked for like a radio show or something like that. And I can't remember if that was Minnesota or Chicago. Wasn't she? she and I, I don't mean okay. This, sorry, but know. Cody's she 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 had a popular blog before becoming like a screenwriter, and she the was a stripper, blog, right? The plot what? She wrote. She, she wrote, was a stripper. She was a stripper. She yeah. was a stripper. I think as she well. wrote a book and or blog about. That yeah, I think that's, I think that's why she got her she rise had this, to prominence was with that. She, she had this blog under the nickname Darling Girl. After she moves, she moved from Chicago to Minneapolis, Minnesota. So there you go. There okay, you go. there you go. The mystery is solved. And now, 
a lot of her, her movies take place in Minnesota. So they, it did not um, leave a good impression on her, I, I would assume. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Juno's... There's nothing wrong with Minnesota Juno. I guess. You know? I, I guess. And I would argue cloud, that yuppies. there is nothing wrong with Minnesota in this movie either. I, that's true. That's actually very true. Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, real quick, Charlie Stan was nominated for a Golden Globe Award, which she lost to, I want to say, Michelle Williams for My Week with Marilyn. My Week with Marilyn, Michelle Williams won. Uh, she and Pat Oswalt were both nominated for Critics' Choice Awards. Nice. And she lost to Viola Davis, and he lost to Christopher Plummer. Uh, Viola Davis for the help, Christopher Plummer for beginners. Okay. And then uh, Diablo Cody was nominated for a WGA award, but then neither Charlize Theron nor Patton Oswalt, no Diablo Cody, were nominated to the Oscars. So mm. it got some precursor stuff, but nothing, nothing the Oscars. Um, Patton Oswalt is the co-star here. And again, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Critics' Choice Awards. Grizz, what's your relationship to Patton Oswalt, if you have one? So, uh, he was on King of Queens. He was. And uh, so, I mean, that's where I always jump to first, but we I, also sorry. know... I need context for this. What is that a TV show? The King that... of Queens was a TV show starring Kevin James. Right. Uh, and uh, Patton Oswalt was a, a, a frequent, you know, ancillary character on that show. Uh, but other things that I've seen that I actually know him from and I can like that I you know associate with him is of course the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which mm-hmm. is one of he's my favorite the voice movies. on the phone. And then yes. we've, we've talked on the, the podcast before, uh, and he's the voice on the phone until he's you know the, the guy in person, and I think he's great in that. Mm-hmm. And then more importantly than anything else uh, in his career is that he is in Ratatouille, and yes, he is, <laughs> and that is he of course plays Remy. The, the main character of Ratatouille. And I just love Patton Oswalt's voice, so I really wish he would do more animation, because I think he has a great voice for animation. Oh, other random one-off thing from Patton Oswalt's career that I always think about with him is his appearance in the TV show Parks and Rec, where mm, he goes on yeah. a nerd rant at, at, uh, to, to prevent... At a town hall. Yeah. At a town hall, and he's filling Legendary nerd rant. Legendary nerd yes. rant. So good. <laughs> You can look it up. Well, in the episode, it's only like, I don't know, 30 or 40 seconds, but you can look it up on YouTube. He actually talked for like eight to 10 minutes about like Star Wars and, and sequels shit like that. and, you know, yes. and how, how the sequels should go. And <laughs> and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure they just like let Patton Oswalt talk yes. and then like have a script for him on set that day. And he just like ranted from his heart. And like, it's it's really fun to watch him rant. Uh, so I, I recommend that on YouTube. And, so are you not familiar with his, with his stand-up at all? Oh, well, and then of course, yeah, like he's a stand-up comedian. I've seen a ton of his stand-up. Uh, he's he's brilliant. He's maybe the he's among the funniest stand-up comedians working today. Um, he's awesome. Hugo, do you know any Pat Oswalt stuff? I have seen some stand-up, but it he, he was actually on Blank Check. The episode you haven't listened to on Blank Check. It, it, uh, no, he was on The Killing. He was on I, The I Killing, right. Yes, yeah, so you have listened yeah. to it. Yeah, so I it, mm-hmm. it did yeah. remind me of, like, I, the, the clips I've seen of this guy are really funny. I should look into his more of a stand-up. He's sure. extremely funny. Yes. I, I think I would great, enjoy great that. And according to Letterboxd, I've seen a bunch of movies that he's in. But I guess, except for Ratatouille, he had minor roles and I, that never didn't really clock him, I guess. Because, like, he's... Like what? Like he's he's in, in Sorry to Bother You. Like he's in Sorry to Bother You as one of the white voices for one of the <laughs> yeah, black characters. Right. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. in Magnolia, apparently. He's 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 the poker dealer in the opening uh, like 
overture of Magnolia. Right. And the, the, like, there's there's three interconnected stories, or not interconnected stories. Yeah. He's in the second one, right. in Magnolia. He's the poker dealer diver in right. Magnolia. So it's like you know, minor role. He's you know, he's in Zoolander, but I don't remember. He's I do remember him from the Secret Life of Walter Mitty as well. But yeah, so he's in the movie Starsky and Hutch, which I've seen for some reason. I don't know. I believe it. Yeah, I've seen it too. Yeah, yeah. but. Uh, but yeah, I I should look more into his stand up because he seems great. He is great, and I like him in this, and I like him I like in him any in movie because he's he's one of my favorite stand ups. So like seeing him, not lead a movie, but like be the co lead of movies is, is really fun. I just wanted to shout him out because he's awesome. I think he's great. I think he's really good in this. He is. I have uh, questions about uh, his role towards the end of the movie, but I love him as. Mm kind of a voice of reality yeah. uh, yes. in this movie for the majority. For a woman having delusions, probably. Yes. Well, not delusions, but, you know, we'll talk about that. Well, let me just get right into that. Uh, my next question is, what is this movie? What is this movie? Like, what is this? What, what is it about? Because <laughs> so, I think, like, yeah. I, I think there's a number of ways to answer that. And I think how you answer it can kind of is illuminating to your thoughts on the movie. So Grizz, what is, what is this movie? So in the notes, you said, if you were to describe this movie, what this movie is to someone, how would you do it? And my description of this movie is a narcissist almost learns how to be a better person. Yes. Mm. <laughs> or does she? Keyword is it's almost like... learns. <laughs> well, there's, there's a conversation she has with Pat Oswalt's sister at the yes. end of the movie, Sandra, yeah. that I think is illuminating to, We'll get to that later, but yeah, almost I think is a, a key word there for sure. <laughs> it's like Hugo. I agree. I, it's like at the end, I was like, it took me a second, and I'm still kind of thinking about it and trying to figure out exactly what what it was about in the sense that, like, I'm not. Does she learn anything by the end, or does <laughs> does like you know? At, by the end, I was like, okay, so has she learned to believe in herself more? And it's like, but the town does kind of suck. And she's not that wrong that the town, that the small town does kind of suck, but also the way she says it is kind of mean to them. But even in the end, and I'm like, I'm not sure it, what it's about, but if I had to say what the movie is actually about, I think it's about a woman who is kind of broken and completely stuck in the past and who has peaked in high school, but also did some cool stuff after high school that peaked in high school is a good phrase then didn't totally pan out for her and it was always in the shadow of somebody else so she kind of the popularity that she has in high school makes her think that she's hotter shit than she yeah she ends up being in reality uh a small fish in a big pond right but when she was in the small pond she was the big fish and she's not kind of not able to accept that but yeah. yeah, it's a movie about being extremely depressed, I would say. But Yeah, ultimately, yeah. maybe. Well, I think uh, in the most literal sense, it is a, it's a movie about a woman returning to her hometown mm-hmm. for reasons. Yes. And one of my next questions is going to be why she returns to Mercury, Minnesota. But ostensibly, it's to try to get back with her high school boyfriend, more or less. But it's it's really because Hugo, you kind of just alluded to this. She's retreating to a time when she was happy, yeah, because she's not happy now. No, um, she's depressed, and she wants to try to recapture try to recapture the feeling of what it was like to be happy, and that was in Mercury, Minnesota, in high school with this guy Buddy Slade, 
And so whatever she can do to recapture that, that's what she's going to try to do. Grace, what do you got? So you say this is she's retreating to a time when she was happy. What I think is more mm-hmm. accurate is she's retreating to a time she thinks she was happy. Because Correct. I, I, yes. I think that what is illuminated throughout this movie is that she hasn't actually ever really been happy. And she's been, you know, like she was one of the popular kids who would belittle other people to make herself feel better. And that's because she did not think highly of herself. And that continues to be a problem for her today. That she returns to the, the small town and talks shit about the small town. Exactly. <laughs> and she like, she, she separates herself from the town and like, she tries really hard to think highly of herself, mm-hmm. but I don't think she actually does. But like, you know, there's one point where uh, Pat Oswald character, his name is Matt. He says, "Oh yeah, you write children's books, right?" And she's like, "I write young adult books." I I, and she corrects I write him. a young adult series. A young adult series, and then later, uh, Beth, who is Buddy Slade's wife, says, uh, "You're a writer, right?" And she says, "Yes, I'm an author." I'm an author. She yeah. corrects him. She corrects her and says, "Author instead of writer." Young adult, not children's books. Um, at one point, Matt asks her, "Oh, so why are you back in Mercury? Did you move back?" And she says, "Oh, God, no, gross." Mm-hmm. She's disgusted by the possibility of moving back to Mercury because she's so, even though she's you know she's above it all. And like, it's like yeah, exactly. She, and there are also the scenes where there is voiceover of her writing, where she is writing this fictional yes. character who is kind of an idealized version of herself. And she's writing yeah. stuff like, yeah. oh, uh, her beauty was so effortless that she didn't actually care that much about how she looked. And and she it was it only happened to her. She just woke up in the morning. It wasn't her way. fault she was popular. It wasn't her yeah, fault she was popular. And she didn't work yeah. that hard on it, while at the same time, on the voice voiceover, we see her working really hard on her appearance, like you know, putting in hair yes. clips and like doing going Absolutely. going to get yes. her nails done every day, and it, obviously having you know body image issues or like at least some confidence issues around having to be the most beautiful person in in the room at all times. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, the movie so, is subtly telling us that she doesn't actually feel that highly about herself. Right. Yes. It, it it is interesting. Like, Charlize Theron is one of the most beautiful people alive. Yes, and she she won her Oscar for a movie called Monster, where she wears like you know ugly makeup. She she uggifies herself basically, and like that's was a very brave thing to do. I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the early, in the early 2000s, the Academy really liked to uh, reward people who were brave enough to look ugly. Um, in this. She doesn't, like, have, like, you know, that going on, but she also, like, she's still, like, stunning, but, like, they really, really do their best to, like, make her unappealing. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, I'm thinking of, like, the opening scene where she wakes up and, like, it, it she's so unglamorous, I guess, is the, yes. the word I'm going for. Um, And so it really does kind of, like, I don't know. She, she, and they do have several sequences of her, like, getting ready, her dolling herself up. And again, she looks, she looks beautiful, but, like... I don't know something about like the the process to get like that, uh, kind of peeling the kind of peeling the curtain back of like how someone looks like this. Because like, I don't know, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but it, it's interesting what you said, Hugo, about how like you know her her playing up her beauty in her, in the book she's writing, mm-hmm. not her own, but like you know there's a one to one comparison yeah. obviously between the character she's writing and herself. Her entire but, existence um, is about deluding herself about her own existence. That's maybe the bow to put on it. Yeah, that's that's maybe that's maybe it. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Um, so I want I want to talk about why she ultimately goes back to Mercury, but before before she does that, let's talk about like the opening few minutes. Um, and the opening few minutes basically just painting a picture of how much her life sucks mm-hmm. and how unhappy she is. 
Uh, she notably wakes, the movie opens with her waking up face down, uh, which is a position we see her waking up in, I think, three separate times, yeah. I want to say. Um, and I love that when she wakes up, she just takes a big pull from a two-liter Diet Coke, which is, again, not the first time we see her do that upon waking up. Um, she and, drinks you know, a lot of Coke in this. She, yeah, and her apartment's a mess. There are alcohol bottles strewn about. Uh, there's a bunch of, like, empty... F- she feeds her dog on her balcony, and there's, like, a bunch of empty food containers from her dog. Um, and she, like, sits down to write, and instead, like, immediately gets distracted by emails. Um, I, I, th- I think the opening's great. Um, so, Grizz, why do you think she decides to go back to Mercury in the movie? Well, like, like we're saying, it's, you know, she's trying to delude herself into believing that she's still on top. That she's, you know, the winner. That she's still better than these people so, in this town that she left behind, right? Yeah, so she wants to go back. Or so she thinks. She says she's going back to, you know, get back together with her old boyfriend, who is yeah, she, so married. Notably, <laughs> she, she meets up with Pat. She runs into Pat and Oswald named Matt at a bar, and she says the words to him, do you, do you want to know why I'm really back? And then she tells him, quote, um, Buddy Slade and I are meant to be together, and I'm here to get him back. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, why she thinks she's there. I don't think that's why well, she's and there. See, and, yeah, I think that's what she's telling herself is the reason she's there. But the real yes. reason is that her subconscious is, that is learning slowly in her real life that she hasn't amounted to what she thought she would. And that she thinks... That when she was her best, she was back in Mercury, and so she's going to go back Good there phrase. and show herself, I am still what I think I am. Uh, mm-hmm. But then, of course, you know, she's not. She's, you know, it's, it's going back home. She's a mess. She's yeah. an absolute mess. And uh, this actually reminds me of a very funny Saturday Night Live skit with Adam Sandler. Uh, he's, he's doing a, a, a bit where he's a, a Italian... Uh, he, he runs a, a tour, uh, a vacation company for trips yeah, to Italy. Yeah, is good. And he's, and this one he hosted SNL, he hosted SNL years SNL, after yeah. he left SNL. And he says, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and just a reminder, uh, if you are sad at home, you will be sad in Italy. Don't come here. <laughs> this will not make <laughs> you happy. Make this you will happy. not solve your problems. <laughs> and that's exactly what this is. If you you'll, are sad, you'll just be unhappy in Italy <laughs> if you come here. <laughs> yes. And. Uh, so that's exactly what's happening here. She's unhappy in Minneapolis. <laughs> and so she thinks that by going back to Mercury that she's going to prove to herself, no, see, I am happy. Things I, I well, you know, have gone the way I wanted. Also, what what is the direct impetus for her to go back? Like what happens in the first eight minutes that send her back? She, Do you remember? What happens is she gets an email from she gets a him? She gets a birth announcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah from, from him? From the wife? Her... her ex-boyfriend sure. from either from other buddy or his wife whatever she's on an email list basically of yes. hundreds of people who probably got this email and yes it's a photo of, announcing the birth yeah. yeah of of their daughter yes daughter being born and yes, yes, yes it yes. just kind of she becomes obsessed with it and uh decides to go back and ruin their lives because her life is broken so <laughs> she has to break somebody <laughs> well, i don't think I, I don't think she ruins it i don't think she ruins anybody no 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 but own, that, that's honestly. what she plans um, to do kind of you know that's her plan, at least. To she thinks, she thinks the worst possible thing that at least she thinks she thinks that the po- worst possible thing that could happen to somebody is to be back in the small town and have a family and a boring job. 
But actually, after she gets the birth announcement, after she gets the birth announcement, she has lunch or something with a friend, and she says something on the lines of, "Can you imagine still living in Mercury?" Like yeah. she looks down on that so much. And she's like, and yet, "Can you imagine having just a stupid family and a boring house and a yeah. life?" And the, the yeah. friend is the friend's face is like. God, I wish kind of I had that. Like, maybe that's not so bad after all. And they're like, oh, we're doing <laughs> yeah. so well in the big city, aren't we? And it's like, they don't look like they're doing that well. Um, she lives in like a, she lives in like, it's not corporate housing, but it's like a really shitty high rise. Yeah. And like, it, it, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. It doesn't look that great. Um, no. But yeah, it, this movie in a weird way kind of, well, not in a weird way, I guess. It kind of reminded me of The World's End. Uh third movie in the Cornetto trilogy because like there's this thing about somebody just going out and being the coolest person in the small town and then going back and the reason why you go back is never apparent at the beginning and she she's clearly looking for something and I don't and I'm not entirely sure if she finds that but she's clearly looking for something that isn't just to get back with this other guy and I think it's very interesting that the first time she actually meets with Buddy who she kind of puts on this pedestal pedestal and idolizes and fantasizes about she, I don't think she likes him very much. I think she's no, kind she of no. bored by him, but she has Absolutely. this idealized version of him in her head of the person that he was in high school and that she to some extent has remained and he hasn't he has changed that he's like now he's like a 37-year-old with a kid and a you know, normal, regular ad sales at General Mills. Yeah. yeah, And has lunch with his dad every day. You know, we have this place. This is pretty cool. And she looks, she hates that place because it's just the random sports bar. He's, he's so, he's so impressed when she calls the, she calls it a Kentaco hut. Yeah. And the Kentucky fried chicken. Yeah. And he says, Oh, the, how are you doing in the, that's so clever in the mini apple. And she's like, Oh honey, nobody ever calls that the mini apple anymore. Like she kind of looks down on it. Hold on. You know, well, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to Buddy in a second. Um, I wanted to say, but but my point is, sorry, it's like she's deluding herself into thinking that she actually wants him, and she doesn't. She wants yeah. somebody who doesn't exist anymore from fifteen years ago. Yeah, I mean, she wants to be who she was when yeah, she was with him. Exactly. That's why she locks in yeah. on him. And there, there actually even is a, even if there even is a question later in the movie where Matt asks why Buddy, and we'll get to that too. Um. But so she sees the birth announcement and like, I think this is also like a sliding doors movie where like she wants to investigate like that's this is something I could have had, but I chose a different path and now I'm over here and maybe I can like backtrack to that sliding doors moment and like take the path that I didn't take instead. And like, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what she, that's part of what she's going back for, I think, is to see if she can get back to a crossroads and take a different path, I guess, Um, which is interesting. Um... So she digs out a tape that Buddy had made her in high school or college, presumably, and listens to it over and over again on the drive to Minnesota. Are you guys familiar with the song she listens to before this movie? I was not. It is called... Not the first one. It, the second one, yes. Uh, the Concept by Teenage Fan Club, which is a song, an album that came out in 1991. Are anybody familiar with this? No. I was not. I was not. No. So uh, apparently I should be because apparently like this band is really influential on bands that I like. Uh, I learned that Jimmy Eat World did a cover of this song, and I love Jimmy Eat World. I learned that Ben Ben Gibbard of uh, the Postal Service and Death Cab for Cutie actually did a cover of this entire album. He just redid this whole <laughs> album, did a version of it. So I mean, I like his music too. So I guess I should like this. Um, 
I think that the music in this in general is really good. Uh, it's all early 90s, which is probably reminiscent of when she was in Mercury. Uh, I didn't catch that on first or even second viewing, but some of the music you hear in this, uh, again, the concept by Teenage Fan Club, which came out in 1991. Uh, she listened to What's Up by Four Arm Blondes as she drives to Woody's. She listens uh, um, as she and Matt leave Woody's and go out in the alley to talk. You can hear Feel the Pain by Don Star Jr., which came out in 1984. Uh, when she's at Macy's, you can hear like a Muzak version of Even Flow. Uh, when she drinks with Matt after making out with Buddy on his porch, you hear Low by Cracker, which is also 1991. So I'm assuming this is all a conscious choice of like early 90s music, which is probably like what she was listening to mm-hmm. when she was living in Mercury, Minnesota at the time that she's trying to get back to again. So I think it's a good touch that like this is what's pumping through the speakers in her life as she's trying to recapture all this. That makes sense yeah. to me. Um, and I also love that like she looks at the concept by Teenage Fan Club as like a song representing the special connection that she and Buddy once had. Mm-hmm that she's trying to get back. And then when she goes to a little small concert that Buddy's wife, Beth, her band plays in, their very first song is The Concept by Teenage Fan Club, and it's dedicated from Beth to Buddy. So, like, clearly this song is not indicative of a special relationship between Mavis and Buddy, because Beth and Buddy also have a special relationship for this song. So it's a very literal replacing Beth of Mavis in Buddy's life, and it's a real slap in the face to Mavis because it is hurting the delusion that like she and buddy have something special because this song was representative of something special they had. And no, it's not actually a special song between her and buddy. It's a special song between buddy and his wife. So it's like, again, kind of crashing into her delusion, which I think was a nice touch. And it's, you know, shown by the fact that when the song plays at the bar, when best band plays it, there's a really, really, really long reaction shot Mm -hmm. from Mavis, where Charlie's there and just like stares daggers at Beth behind the drum set. And from just some, Great non-verbal acting by her in that yes. whole scene. Yes, just the hatred in her eyes is palpable. But like, yes. it's not just the hatred to me. Like, I think she at that moment has moments where she realizes that what she's doing is ridiculous and that these people are actually in love. But then she, but she, then she tells herself again. Then she tells herself, <laughs> like, you can see her. Oh God, what, what the fuck am I doing? And then she tells herself again that, oh no, 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 I'm the best. I'm gonna take him back. But like, there's a moment where she doubts herself. I think in that scene, and I think it's just been really excellent acting, without saying anything. Yeah, so, yeah. So in the same scene, um, I believe it's the same scene. As the song is playing, Mavis's "Hail Mary." to make this song about her and Buddy instead of about Buddy and Beth is as the song is playing, she leans into Buddy's ears and says, uh, I believe the song was playing the first time we uh, dot, dot, dot. She says, uh, she says something she that said, I'd rather. Oh, this okay. is a family podcast. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I can say it if you like. Is, uh, you know, Hugo, you can be the dirty one. Uh, regardless, she tries to like, anyway, so. <laughs> she tries to get Buddy to connect the song to her, her and Buddy. And they're yeah. sexual experiences. Yes, and like, this is one of several times where Mavis says something like, uh, weird, very inappropriate yeah. to Buddy and weird to Buddy, and like, you can't take it any other way. Yeah. It's like, uh, unmistakably inappropriate, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he kind of like, laughs it off, kind yeah. of. Which Patrick which Wilson, me who question plays like, Buddy, I think does a great job in this scene of being like, haha, yeah, well, okay. Not right. just the like, scene, Pat. Patrick Wilson is – so I have a question later in the outline of what is the tension in this movie, and I think Patrick Wilson is kind of like the key 
and his performance is the key to maintaining the tension in this movie. Because, like, what I want to ask is what you think of Buddy and what you think he thinks of Mavis. Because, like, he's he's so kind of, like, he, he's so kind of blank where, like, every, every time she says something kind of weird and, like, comes on to him, his react he kind of has, like, a non-reaction to it. And, like, I can never tell if he is entertaining her advances or completely oblivious to them. And he's just polite. And he really walks that line of, like, stringing her along where, like, he gives her just enough encouragement back that she continues advancing on her advances. But, like, you know, I don't really know what he's thinking. Grizz, what do you got? So I, I, I think that the answer to the question, what does he think of Mavis? The answer is he doesn't. He is not yeah. thinking about Mavis. Mavis is, is mm-hmm. making it like she is just there. And yeah, yeah, he is not focused on her. Even when, you know, they're hanging out together, he wants to talk about his life with Beth. It seems very mm-hmm. clear to me that he is very happy with Beth, uh, despite yeah. what uh, Mavis wants to believe. And she, you know, she keeps saying, that he's, he, oh, I see it. He's not happy at all. And I think the whole point is that, no, it, it, like, to a normal person, he looks like he's just a normal person who's like, you know, ha- happy enough with his life. Well, Mavis thinks, how could anybody possibly be happy in Mercury, Minnesota? And what she doesn't realize is that she would not be happy anywhere. It's not Mercury that was the problem. She wouldn't be happy in Italy. She would not be happy in Italy. She's not happy in Minneapolis. No, she was not happy in Mercury. So like, <laughs> but uh, so as far as like, is he <laughs> leading, like, like, like leading her to continue her to advances? Me, I think no. Trying to I, not be unkind. That's what it is. He doesn't want to tell nice her. Man. He doesn't want to tell her. Look, our moment is gone, and it's been gone a long time. And you're being weird. I think he knows that so, for, like there's something going on with her, and he just doesn't want to, you know, hurt her feelings. Which, you know, is not ultimately is not always the right decision to make. Sometimes you do have to rip the bandaid and be like, look, knock it off. But mm-hmm. because I, you see in his face, sometimes he kind of reacts like, that's weird. Yeah. I, but I don't. <laughs> or he's like, "Oh I think, God, I guess, I guess I'm doing a shot of tequila now." Yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> I think he yeah. doesn't. Uh, he doesn't realize the extent to which she's willing to go yeah. uh, for yeah. her delusion, and so he humors that uh, in a polite manner, and that you know might lead I, her. I, I think that's... to believe that there's something there that there isn't. I think that's ultimately the answer. And, like, we do ultimately get an answer because he explicitly says Mm -hmm. in the climactic scene, like, how and why he's treating her the way that he's treating her, um, which is not an answer Mavis likes. But, like, the first time I watched this, I I was so in the weeds with, like, his performance. And, like, again, is he encouraging her? Is he oblivious to her advances? And, like, the line he walks to, like, giving her just enough encouragement back to get her to keep doing it was, was interesting. And, again, like... To jump ahead in the outline, I think the main tension in the movie is like, you know, is this going to work? You know, is Mavis going to be successful in in getting, you know, Buddy's attention again? Because, like, again, like, he he never tells her, like, hey, don't come on to me. I'm a married man. Or, hey, I just had a daughter. Or, hey, you're being weird. Even though, like, he should... He should have said that, like, five or six separate times before he actually says that in so many words. Um, Yeah, but I think there's there's a perception by people in town who do know of Mavis that they are they actually are kind of worried in not necessarily in a malicious way. They're just kind of worried for her and trying not to 
be mean to her, like even when she might deserve it. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like that. That's the scene at uh, on their front lawn, which which I'll get to. But like, yeah, let's save that for just one second. Mm. Um, let's see. Attention, the movie. Actually, yeah, let's do that now. Uh, the scene on Buddy and Beth's lawn in the the climax. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's extremely cringy, but also extremely cathartic. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think about the scene in general, Hugo? It's uh, it was hard to watch. To be yeah. honest, because like I get very, very so. I get a lot of secondhand embarrassment when I watch movies. Then like, mm-hmm. God, just to see her go into that room. Oh, uh, you can say it. You don't have to worry. I we both feel the same way. She pulls Buddy it's aside. Like, oh. She pulls Buddy aside. They 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 kissed the previous night. Yes, while he was uh, drunk to the point of non-memory. Yes, and he even like the words 30 seconds before they kiss he says god i love my daughter like yeah. so he's like in a different headspace than she's in yeah. and she completely misreads what headspace he's in and kisses him yeah. yeah um so she pulls him aside at this party and tries to yeah i don't know to reveal say the unspoken yeah. say the, yeah. what she say believes is unspoken and he pushes her away and she's like just stop it i think you should leave finally you're, you're acting like, crazy and then she makes a big scene. And that's scene. why this scene is cathartic. Yeah, and then she makes yeah. a big scene outside with the wife and tells everybody to to, to, to F off. I mean, I've already said fuck mm-hmm. before, but I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, like, he comes out with, you know, it was supposed to be this big moment where he reveals the present for his like, wife, but, you know, everyone's staring at her, screaming in the lawn, and he's like, I didn't invite you. I just... yeah. You know, I'm just being. We feel kind bad for you. you. We feel bad for you. My we feel bad for you. My wife just wanted me to what, invite. What a you. nightmare! Like yes, what a nightmare! That is the worst she, thing he that says, could possibly happen to a person. Like. In front of in front of his parents, in front of her parents, in front of a bunch of their friends and family in Mercury, he says, "We feel bad for you, Mavis. We all do." Yeah. And like, what what a nightmare scenario to yeah. have that said accurately about you in front of like two dozen people. Yeah. Okay. So. And that is the thing, that is the one thing, sorry, just, that is the one thing about the movie where I'm not always sure how oblivious Mavis is or not. Like, I'm, how much is she convincing herself? How much does she know that she's just gone into a weird place? And how much is he unaware of that? Like, that's where I'm confused. This is very Freudian to me, that her her subconscious is very aware that her life has not panned out the way right. she had hoped. But her ego is preventing her from right. allowing that realization to sink in. So she you know, talks about how great she is. She uh, corrects people on writer versus author and, oh, it's a young adult, not all that stuff, is her ego trying to prove to herself that she's great. And so then this moment... Her signing books at the bookstore. Yes, signing oh, books that no, yeah, no one asks. And, and like, oh, well, these you can't sign them. She actually, them. she actually lowers the value of the book by signing it. Yeah. Even though she's like so insistent on wanting to sign it because she thinks she's important and she's not. Yeah. Sorry, and again, ahead. the idea of someone like being like, oh, great, this is signed by the ghostwriter is, <laughs> is, is, is laughable to me. Uh, but so all of this is just an effort to keep her fragile ego intact uh and then this moment on the lawn is where everyone decides to stop treating her with kid gloves 
And it's like, yeah. this is the reality of things. And it gets thrown in her face. And I think it's interesting that, like, Josh is saying, like, oh, what a nightmare scenario. I watched this, and the catharsis for me was like, finally, you guys are telling her. It's like enormously it is. cathartic. It's, it's cringy and cathartic. Yeah. Yes. But the, the catharsis wasn't, you know, like, oh, I, I wasn't like, yes, she's finally going to come to terms with her reality. I was like, yes, thank you, everyone else, for finally <laughs> telling her the reality. Well, like I said, like for me, part of the tension in the movie is so built on Patrick Wilson's um, the the inability to read his reactions. Right, is like creates you know maintains the tension in the movie. And then in this scene, twofold, he kind of like shows his cards in the room with Mavis, where she pulls him aside and says like, "You're better than this. Don't try to kiss me. I think you should leave, etc." And then five minutes later in the lawn, where he says. Beth feels sorry for you. We all do. You're lonely and confused and going through a depressive episode. So he he shows he he answers the question which I had is is he entertaining this or is he politely oblivious? Uh, neither. Yeah. He 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 can recognize that she's hitting on him, but just like is a nice person and thinks she's going through something and kind of like lets her go through it. So it, there's a catharsis because it like pays off the running t- what I think is the running tension of the movie. And then it's also like, as you just said, Grizz, people finally tell her what she needs to say. But also, she has a big reveal here. And that's that she was pregnant with Buddy's baby when she was 20. Mm-hmm. And so she says, I could have had this party. You know, we'd have a teenager by now. I could have had this party. So again, it is, I mentioned earlier that she goes back to Mercury to like explore a sliding doors moment where like her life could have gone a different direction. And this is kind of like the crux of that. Mm-hmm. So that's why like seeing a birth announcement from Buddy Slade having a baby really stirs up memories and what if thoughts for her which is why she goes and back to mercury there Sorry, also up references throughout the movie about the failed marriage that she had as well yeah which yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. more oblique references she was married and it didn't work well, out yeah, so yeah. What, a guy named alan what i wanted to say was that um i think that patrick wilson's role in this movie is very well done and i you know yeah i mean one, I we already think that this movie is one that is has went very much under the radar but I think even within this movie, his performance would be one that goes very much under the radar. I, I think that he represents what I think a lot of people think of the, the popular kids. Like when you're not one of the popular kids in school and you look at the popular kids with jealousy, you look at them and you think there's nothing behind those eyes. He's just a handsome face. He's just, uh, you know, hmm. he's just, yeah. he's just a, a lucky, lucky guy that he, you know, he's good at sports and, you know, that, that's how the people on the outside would look at them. And then, of course, the reality is, no, even the popular people are capable of having a personality. And, you know, at the end of the movie, he finally, the facade of him being this, like, blank, oblivious guy who's pretending not to notice that uh, he's being hit on constantly, the facade breaks away. He's like, no, I'm happy. I love my wife. I love my daughter. And we think you're messed up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're happy here and you're not. You think no one can be happy here, but we're all happy here. You're just a depressed person. That's kind of the whole game, right? And I like how the film is so much from her point of view that you... Yeah. Like, we don't get much with his wife, for example. And it's like, to me, I see them as... And I'm... The implication to me is, like, he probably went home the day after and he was hungover and he was like, God, God, she kissed me. It was weird. I'm sorry. I didn't... It's whatever. Yeah, you it think he, prob- he probably told her about he it. He probably just woke up and said, oh, she's so weird. She kissed me. It was fucking weird. Can we not invite her? And and the wife is like, come <laughs> on, she's going through something. Just invite her over and we'll, you know, 
pretend like nothing happened. Well, you can say the same things that I've been saying about Patrick Wilson's performance, how, like, you can't really tell if he's oblivious or not. You can say the same thing about Beth, because at one point, Mavis is over at Beth and Buddy's house and, like, says something pretty inappropriate in that, like, I still have, I still sleep in Buddy's t-shirts and boxers or whatever. And she says this to Buddy's wife. And she just, like, again, that's a moment where she could say f off or whatever yeah. should could call her out but she doesn't she's like rolls with it and says i think i have some old t-shirts from boyfriends too blah blah, blah. she she plays along yeah. yeah you know again again is she oblivious does she know what's going on no she knows exactly what's happening and is too she nice does. a person yes which i will say that is something that is a, a kind of i don't know if you would be aware there is a stereotype about people from minnesota people from right. minnesota are, Mi- are very sweet yeah <laughs> midwest in general but minnesota in particular but like yes, you know yes, yes, like yes. uh have you ever seen fargo Yes, kind of the way I people talk in Fargo. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. a similar sort of accent in Minnesota and that persona of like everyone is, oh, oh, dear. Oh, sweetie. You know, like everyone's so, you know, overly endearing. Oh, yeah. You betcha. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. You betcha. Yeah. Han. <laughs> yeah. And so it makes a lot of sense that Beth would be so willing. Accommodating. Yeah. So she has uh, she has a hair pulling thing. Mavis does, which I looked up. That is called trichotillomania which is a uh compulsive hair pulling disorder that uh can be linked to anxiety and depression and i'm assuming that's what is the case here uh the first time she does it it's when she's like looking at the birth announcement Mm -hmm. like she pulls up the email looks at the baby buddy slaves baby and starts pulling her hair out and then i think the next time she does it is after she has a drink with buddy for the first time and it like it it goes okay, but it doesn't like go great. Then she's kind of sitting in the hotel room by herself, pulling her hair out, and then she calls Matt, Pat Oswald, and goes get gets drunk with him instead. Um, she even tells her parents at some point, "I think I might be an alcoholic," and they just kind of like laugh it off and hand wave it away. So it like it kind of paints a picture of like how Mavis got this way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, maybe she didn't have like the best, uh, you know? Maybe she. Had, I'm not surprised that parents in the Midwest might be a little dismissive of mental health concerns because like there's there's really a thing of like, oh, we're all okay here kind of kind of mindset yeah um just sorry random stuff then we can wrap up like i love the scene where she where she is at her parents house and like goes through her old high school memorabilia you know it is it is a literalization of what this whole movie kind of is which is her like digging through her past looking for the time that she used to be happy and trying to get that back she picks up buddy's sweatshirt and smells it and then wears it for like a lot of the rest of the movie um it's it's just good stuff uh, the last thing I want to talk about is her final, the final conversation in the movie, which is between her and Sandra, which is Pat Oswald's sister. Well, Grace, you want to talk about her okay, and so Matt? So first, I at want to talk about her relationship with yeah. Matt throughout the movie. Matt, yeah. Pat Oswald's yeah, yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Throughout the movie, yes. uh, Matt is the voice of reason, constantly telling her, "This is wrong. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is wrong. This is not healthy." Yes. <laughs> you're, you yes. Know, and you know, I, and he's the only person tr- who actually appears to have her actual best interest in mind uh, despite the fact that he was bullied by her in high school and bullied by everyone in high school mm-hmm. and was physically abused uh, as a result of that bullying like this guy has no reason to look out for her but does anyways and so that's why well, I think he's such a fantastic character because I do feel that uh, you know a good person will try to be a good person, even to people who have been bad to them. Uh, yeah, and and I think so that that makes him a very uh, fascinating and, and likable character in this movie. Uh, 
So, th- but so I take issue with the end of this movie where they've been hanging out and drinking and you know all that stuff and have developed a bond, and then after the lawn scene, she goes back to Matt's place mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they hook up, and I, I, I don't like that because I don't I don't think that it actually makes sense for Matt's character. For Matt's character? For Matt's character. It's... Because... There's also somewhat of a trope in movies where it's like, oh, the, you know, by the end, the beautiful girl is sleeping with the nerdy guy, and it's like... Sure, yeah, but that's, that's usually not... in movies where the nerdy guy is the main character. And, right, oh, yes. Oh, the hero finally gets the girl, you know. Right. Whereas this one is, this girl has not been nice to him. Even now, she hasn't been, like, nice to him. Uh, I think she's nice to him. She's, she's nicer to him than she is to most people, right? But she's yeah, still yeah. not like. But she's not. She's not really a, a great person. So no. she. I mean, I, like I don't know how else to say it. She's she's a bit of a narcissist. Yeah. And so everything is about her, or it, she finds a way to relate everything back to her. So she doesn't seem to actually engage that much with Matt's life and Matt's struggles. I think there uh, are. Okay, I agree, but I also think there are some subtle hints in the love scene and 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 when they talk after that, where he's like, "Why Matt?" and "Why sorry, why, why, why buddy? buddy?" and and she says, "This is when I was at my best," and he says, "No, like you were not at her, your best. You were mean, and you know I was at my and best. Stuff involved. I was yeah. at my best, and they, and other people and you never ruined looked at me. It. Other people ruined it. Yeah. They, you know." in a way, you know, made my life so much harder than it already was. And yeah. and I think in that moment and she she kind of gives him a light touch on her on on his face and I think that in that moment she's understanding. But I, I think the movie has a lot of subtlety that doesn't come out a lot in the dialogue and obvious action right. of what happens. You know what so, I mean? I agree. So, I mean like the main thing I want to discuss in this movie was like why she returns to Maeve, why she returns to Mercury, and like the movie doesn't really interrogate that necessarily. Like the whole mo- the whole movie's existence is to, is kind of, is to kind of like interrogate why she returns to Mercury, but like it never like says that out loud no. necessarily. But like that's like the underlying current and everything. So like it it doesn't necessarily vocalize all the things on its mind, but it does have more on its mind than it may appear. Sorry, Chris. So ahead. I was just gonna say it's like it's that continued internal struggle between her subconscious and yeah. her conscious. And her subconscious, I do think, recognizes that Matt is a g- good guy and that mm-hmm. this is the kind of person that I would probably actually be happy with because he's actually concerned with what actually makes me happy. Uh, and, or, or at least concerned with helping me find what actually makes me happy. Uh, and uh, so I think that, like, yeah, there, there is a subtle connection between them. But I don't think it made sense for me to, for them to hook up at the end of the movie. I, I wanted them to be friends and like him be a, a resource for her that, you know, an anchor to help her find a, a way to be happy. Uh, and the, the whole thing with them hooking up just felt out of place for me. Uh, I don't know. Why do you think? Why do you think Matt slept with her? 
Well, I mean, I think because he doesn't get that opportunity uh, ever. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> they make they make there are two or three allusions to how to, messed up uh, his, his penis is out of the his junk is. Yes, after happened. an accident. Yeah. And so like it wasn't an accident. He got it was not. No, he he yeah he got beat he real got beat, bad. Yes, yes. Um, so I think that like he sees himself as broken. Yeah. You know, and like he sees himself a certain way. And so like, I think them hooking up is like maybe hope for him that he's not as broken as he thinks, you know? And also like, again, in like a, to again, reference the sliding doors moment, like this is who she could have been with in high school. So it's kind of like writing a wrong is the wrong way to put it, but like, kind of like, you know, this is who, who she could have been and could have, could have been hanging out with and et cetera. Um, and I think she sleeps with him just because, like, she wants to be with someone who likes her. Yes. Because she just had a pretty tough, pretty tough beat at the at the lawn in the front lawn about five minutes earlier. So she just wants to be. She even goes to him and cries and says, "No one loves me. You don't love me." And he says, "Guys like me are born loving women like you," which I think is a really good line. It is a great. And it's line. also part of why he sleeps with her. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't. I, I actually kind of like them sleeping together. Um, I think again. I, it, I don't but know. here's There's the real something... reason. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, here's the real reason that I don't like it, and it's because of what happens next. Mm. Uh, we, we get to see the rest of the movie, and it devalues that moment to the point where I'm like, it shouldn't have happened. It doesn't make sense to me in the narrative anymore. Uh, but go ahead, Hugo. Like, to me, for him, there's he's another character where we... The point of view character of the movie is 100% her all of the time and we do not see what other people go through and we do not have a window on their feelings and it, i think the internal struggle that he has in his life that brought him to kind of embrace the opportunity of what happened is something that we don't we don't get and it's like i don't know it's messy and things are messy and i think that's what the movie is doing it's like i know this could happen it yeah it is kind of not maybe not great for either of them of them being that what you know seeing what happens later but in that moment it kind of happened and that's how things go sometimes it's i don't think it was unrealistic honestly no no no, i could could see it happening exactly but i yeah i but i think that it uh i don't know i I just feel like it wasn't fair to the character it's so how how do you think the next scene how do you think the next scene undermines this okay well so the next scene is uh the, the following morning Mavis goes to talk with uh, Matt's sister, Sandra, Sandra uh, in the kitchen. And Sandra, uh, as we was revealed earlier in the movie, was a big fan of Mavis in, in school. <laughs> yeah. Like, to a, a, a kind of creepy, you know, degree. Like, yeah. you know, sneaking things into her locker and you know, stuff like that. And, you know, so Sandra's kind of obsessed with Mavis. And Sandra undoes all the progress that... <laughs> She really does. She made. really, really does. She undoes yeah, it she all does. in five minutes. <laughs> yes. And by yes, telling yes, her, yes. you are as great as you thought you are. And No, this place this sucks. This place sucks. You, you are better than this place. You were right to leave it. It is impossible to be it. happy here. And yes. undoes everything that she learned, including everything she learned about Matt. <laughs> she, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if I'd go that far. I, that's, I mean, like what, what? I think that that what, Matt is now beneath her again, and so that un- that's interesting. Undoes, yeah. undoes the progress that she made, where she could see Matt for the the quality person he is, uh, 
rather than where he lives. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. And that's so true. I think that, like, had they hooked up and then you had even the slightest inclin- you know, inclination that that was something that a relationship that could continue in the future, whether they expressly stated or not, the idea that there's a possibility that it might would make that make more sense to me. But because we see Sandra completely demolish all the progress that, that Mavis had made, uh, there's just no way in my mind that she's going to keep in touch with Matt, that she's going to uh, continue to grow the way she did in the last 24 hours. Yeah. So, so you said, when I asked you what this movie is, you said, uh, a narcissist almost, almost learns, learns how to be a better, how to be a better person. person. I think the almost is this scene. Yep. This scene is the almost cause she would have learned, but didn't because of the scene. But, uh, it's interesting that like she goes to see Matt after she gets completely embarrassed on the front lawn. She goes to see Matt cause she wants to be around someone who likes her or maybe even loves her. And then mm. like, in the same house, Matt's sister kind of tells her everything that she's been dying to hear the whole movie, which is, you were right to leave. This place sucks. We all think you're awesome. We think you're cool because you left this bad, this small town, and now you're in the big city. I think about you from time to time when I have a long shift at work. I think about you going out in your cool apartment and all that kind of stuff. Everyone here is fat and stupid. Nothing doesn't matter to what happens to anybody here. And like you're awesome because you got out, and I wish I could have gotten out too. Take me like with you. Everything. She, and she, she says, take me with you. with you. And as soon You're as she good gets here. The, what a great line. And that's the line where I'm like, yeah, see? Okay, that's... She, everything was undone. She still sucks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it's like... Yes. No, she definitely still sucks. It's yes. like... She, I understand where you're coming from, uh, Grizz, in the sense that it the movie does not have a nice, neat bow over it by the end, which is what the love scene makes you think it might have. And well, I, I just would have preferred that they left it open. Right. Uh, no, I, I, I agree. No, no, no. But I mean, from from the point of view of what she learned, like she didn't learn anything. But like the truth is people who have who go through major depressive moments and maybe have a, prob- a big problem with narcissism, they don't, you know, it doesn't go away because you have one experience that makes you learn something, I don't think. I think it takes a lot of work. It takes actually looking at the problem and going to therapy. And and I think the movie, it, it I think it, it does feel kind of jarring. It, it did feel kind of jarring to me as well that she, it's so undone in a second. Because that's how things happen in movies. Like in movies, you go through this big experience and it changes you and you're, you learn something and it's different. But in real life, that's not necessarily true. And I think that's what the movie is doing. And I, and I think, and I do agree that on a narrative level, it feels kind of weird, but also like I kind of, I think it's also kind of cool. I mean, <laughs> look, I, I mean, I, but I get what you mean. Having just gone through a, a very, you know, prolonged bout of depression myself, there is a lot I relate to yeah. in this movie. And I totally understand that because for months before, I was doing great, and I, I felt really good about where I was with everything in my life. Uh, and then a few things happen, and it spirals out of control, and then you know now I'm back down in the dumps. Uh, but uh, so like I, I really do like there's a lot I can relate to for her. But the difference is uh, that I think most people who and maybe it's because maybe I don't have the degree of narcissism. I'm sure I have some narcissism. <laughs> 
I'm sure you don't have Mavis <laughs> but, Gary degree of narcissism. But uh, I don't, maybe it's because I don't have that degree of narcissism that, you know, I think most people who suffer from depression or anxiety or things like that, they want to see the world as, it's, as it actually is. They don't want to be in the delusion. Uh, yeah. And Mavis, at the end of this movie, makes the choice to go back to being in the delusion. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she decides to ignore what she heard on the lawn and instead focus on what she hears at Matt and Sandra's kitchen table. But, yeah, instead, like, isn't it also true Which, that you you don't start to learn how to, you know, live with, through, and maybe get over depressive periods until you recognize that you're having one? And yeah, and, well, and, and if and, you and, if you blame like if you blame the way you're feeling on external factors entirely, then you'll never work on yourself and try to get better. And I think that's right. what she does. Yeah, she, and so... Yeah. And and I, I don't know. I, I guess my experiences with depression are my own experiences with depression. Right. So it's, it, you know, maybe there are more people like her that I'm, I'm not thinking about. But to me, it just rang as um, that when, whenever you have that moment of clarity, like especially if you're like in therapy or something like that, and you have a moment of clarity where you're like, oh, yeah, no, that is... I am doing this to myself or you know things like that that is something that you want to cling to that when you get that moment you even if it kind of hurts at first that you realize you're doing that to yourself you want to cling to that idea that that you can recognize it cuz that way you can avoid it in the future and so it just it just i don't know it felt it felt off to me that you know that uh, she would rather continue to be in the delusion at, at the end of it so my last question on the outline is what's mavis's next week look like she dri- we see her driving back to Minnesota or Minneapolis rather. She I assume finishes the draft of her book That's that she's been putting thing. off the whole movie. She, she finishes so, dra- the draft. Of the book. What's what's her next week like? For next week, the next the rest of the book is the girl from the book goes to a party, and everyone tries to bring her down, but she gets the better of them in the end because she gets to go off <laughs> and you know because she actually is smarter than all yeah. these people. Yeah. That's but what does Mavis do next week? After she turns in the book, what does she do? What's her life like? She, um, she goes back to getting shit-faced. Drunk. And, you know. and hooking up with guys that she doesn't like. And, <laughs> you know, the stuff that she was doing at the beginning of the movie. I, I think I think for like a month or two, she coasts on the high yeah. that she got from that conversation with Sandra. That like, oh, all the things I think about myself and about this town are actually true. Because Sandra also thinks these things. But then I think... Um, I think it's gonna the depression's gonna rear its ugly head again. Oh yeah, and maybe maybe she calls Matt, maybe she calls Sandra, maybe she goes into therapy. I hope, but like, I think that like, it'd be interesting to see a follow up with Mavis. Like, I like the movie ends where it does, but like, I also feel like her story is not complete, and I'd be curious to see what happens to her. In yeah, the, in the subsequent time after this movie. But so that's why, for me personally, I wish it had ended with a more open ended thing. You know, that, mm-hmm. you know, she has this moment of, you know, of clarity with Matt and then like, OK, they hooked up and you don't know what the future holds about her in any way that, you know, maybe she's she's learned something from this and she's going to move on. Maybe she has it, but you don't. The, 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 the fact of the matter is that this movie ends at a downward trajectory for Mavis. And yes. so when you do that, my assumption is the trajectory is going to remain down and that leaves me dissatisfied. I would have preferred it leveled off and that's the trajectory that we exit the movie at. 
that's fair. So Grizz exits this movie dissatisfied. Hugo, any final thoughts for you before we rank this? I I like this. I think I, like I think too. talking about it is, is actually makes me think higher on it, higher of it about it. I don't know. English is hard. Um, <laughs> but. I, I didn't I didn't see this until fairly recently in the last like maybe three ish years and like I was kind of bummed that it's like kind of came and went and didn't do very well because I think it actually is like pretty good yeah and it's fun to talk about and I think Charlie Theron's great and yes. I think it's like it's more interesting it, it's more interesting than it appears on its face I guess yes. I definitely agree with that and I did overall enjoy the movie like I, I think the performances were good and the direction is good and it is a interesting story. Uh, you know, there's you know there are a lot of stories where the, the the hero is you know one of the popular kids or things like that. I I should also say that I left my hometown. I live in Los Angeles. And I grew up in St. Louis. I think like part of me relate relates is, a, is an interesting word, but like I do get the idea of like I don't look down on St. Louis at all. I love my hometown. I love the people there, but like but also they kind of suck. <laughs> no, but like when I was in St. Louis, when I was living in St. Louis, I would look at Los Angeles and think, man, it must be so great to live there. That's where like people are doing stuff. That's like where life happens so is in Los Angeles, not here in St. Louis. And like now that I live in Los Angeles, I'm like I was wrong. So, <laughs> I was wrong that way. Like Hugo, uh, you live not in one of the largest cities in Italy. I've lived in many, but places you have kind of different. Yeah, but yeah, and and you went to school in Rome. I've, I went to school in Milan, I went to school in Bologna, I went to school in Rome, like I've been... So, yeah. when, you, when you're back home, are you, do you ever think, like, this isn't where... These people are suckers, this isn't they're where not life really living here. Life happens yeah. in the other places. Do you ever get, ever get like that? I don't know if it's to the same degree, just because... I think the fact that in Italy distances are so reduced compared to the US, where... sure. Like, yes, I, I lived in Rome, but I would be back home every other weekend and hanging out with people here. It's like, I think you feel the difference less just because moving around here is less permanent. And you go back a lot and, you know, you know people that maybe are in the same other city and you hang out with them. It's like, it, it's not exactly like that. But like, I do, I do relate to the feeling like it is here. It is kind of a small town that I don't think I can see myself living in permanently but like sometimes i also get the feel like but it is also kind of nice that it is small and i can walk everywhere and i know See, people and streets and, and 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 where to go to have the best you know coffee in the morning or whatever and it's, it's like, kind of interesting because like i you know live uh i've spent the majority of my life just north of houston right yes uh, and I visit Houston fairly regularly, but I've never lived in Houston, like downtown right. Houston or in the in the areas that would be considered Houston. Uh, so, like, now granted, the suburb I grew up in is one of the largest, you know, suburbs in the state. So, like, it's it's very much a a city itself. Uh, so maybe that's why I don't I don't relate to it so much. But I think like you know, there's nothing that's happening in Los Angeles that I feel like I could be a part of that is not happening in Houston. Like, I don't think I'm going Josh to be going to movie to premieres. Even if I lived in Los Angeles, I don't know that I would ever be, like, you know, part of the Hollywood lifestyle, right? I, I wouldn't be going to movie premieres. I mean, Josh, have you been to a lot of movie premieres since you moved out there? 
No, none. Okay, so, <laughs> and that's what I would want, right? I would want to be involved with movies, but I'm not. Right. Uh, and that is something that I couldn't do in Houston. So, but I also don't think that, you know, if I moved to Los Angeles, that that would change. I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like everything that I could get in Los Angeles, I can get here. Oh, well, you know, this weekend at the New Beverly, uh, they're showing Breathless on the big screen at Tarantino's Theater. Is that playing in Houston at Tarantino's okay, Theater? Okay, okay. So there's access okay. to some movies. Just checking. You're right. You're right. Just checking. Okay. Just checking. Okay. Just checking. You're, you're okay. right. You're right. I'm sorry. But, uh, but like, when people say, oh, there's cl- nothing. Closing that- thoughts before we rank. Okay. Sorry. Yes, we've gone on way too long. Here. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Finish your thoughts. No, thought. There's, thought. there's, you know, it's interesting to me that, that Mavis is like, you know, oh, this town, they don't have anything. You know, and we have yes. it all in the city because I look at, yes. you know, the town I grew up in, which is, you know, not one of the largest cities in the country, uh, despite being very close to it. Uh, and I think like, well, gosh, you know, if uh, there's bars, there's clubs, there's, you know, there's museums, there's, you know, we have these things that mm-hmm. are nearby and I don't have to live in the city to get those things. So I, I, maybe that's another thing that makes it harder for me to relate uh, to the, the well, yeah, like I said, I, I admit that I think that I relate to me a little bit more because I did leave my hometown, and I, on one end of that or the other, have had similar-ish thoughts to what maybe said, misguided, I should I should say, but like I still like get where she's coming yeah. from to some extent. Um, so let's let's rank this, and we'll start with Grizz because you have it the lowest of the three of us, I think. Yeah, so I like I said, I still enjoyed the movie. Uh, and it's not the I'm not rating it the lowest of all the movies we've watched, but close. But close, close to it. Yes. Uh, on my list, I had it. Oh, God, why can't I find my list now? I have it. If you'd like me to say for you. Uh, yeah, go ahead. You have it at number fifty-six out of fifty-nine, which means you have it just below. <laughs> this is a weird sequence of movies. Space Jam, <laughs> Perfect Blue, Mulholland Drive, The Godfather Part 3, and then Young Adult. Okay. And so what I'm sitting right above Matrix Reloaded. Right above Matrix Reloaded, Dread and Slither. Uh yes. and so what I wanted to say is when I I said before we started recording that this was very difficult for me to rank and the reason for that is because I I didn't I don't dislike the movie by any means, but when I was looking at this list when we get down to here, I'm kind of grading it on the would I want to watch it again over this other movie? And so I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, would I, would I want to watch it again over Sweeney Todd? No. Space Jam? No. Perfect Blue. Yeah. And so I get to Godfather Part 3 and I'm like, I don't know, maybe more than Godfather Part 3. <laughs> but, but ultimately I decided, no, I'll, I'll put it I'll put it there. <laughs> and oh, the, Hugo. The, the, the life of Michael Corleone and <laughs> Yeah. Hugo, where's your ranking? Um, okay, I initially had it at 45. I would like to amend and put it at 43. Oh! 43. 43. So a few spots okay. higher. I, I hope that doesn't mess up the math too much. But Give me a second. It would be on my list, right below the Sugarland Express, Batman the Mask of the Phantasm, and My Cousin Vinny. Then you have Young Adults. Then you would have THX 1138. 8338. Slither mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful life. So, yeah, I like this. This is uh, this is cool. I think I I would enjoy it even more on, like again, a rewatch because <laughs> I think it is. It is, I think I know I say this a lot, but it is another film where knowing where it's going, I think that it's much more interesting than 
guessing where it's going to go. Because I also share the feeling of Grizz is that by the end, I was a little dissatisfied with the narrative mm-hmm. conclusion. But then thinking back on it, I appreciate what it was doing more. I definitely appreciate the shot it was taking. Yes. Yeah. Um, even though I, I think this is good and I really enjoy this movie and I think I have it higher than than you two, I still don't have it like super high myself. You know, I have this at number 37 out of 59. So for me, it is just behind, let's see, we have Another Round, The Lighthouse, John Wick, Young Adult, Chunking Express, and then Jason Reitman's first movie, Thank You for Smoking. So, so you have you do have it above Thank You for Smoking. That's what I was going to ask is I do. Uh, how yes. we had a relation. Obviously, I have it uh, up quite a bit lower uh, than so, Thank You for Smoking. 37, 43, 56. Those are our respective rankings. And using our super secret proprietary algorithm, that means young adult comes out to number 48 out of 59. So it's just behind Brick, Trials of Chicago 7, Anna Dune, Young Adult, Iron Man 3, Shulman Express. So that's where that is. A few spots behind Thank You for Smoking, which is at 41. And that's Young Adult. Thanks for talking about Young Adult with me, guys. I appreciate it. I feel like more people should talk about this movie, even if it's not like, you know, perfect or five out of five. It's still fun. Do you, do you feel like people should remember the film? <laughs> I think people should remember the film. Yeah. The film being Young Adult. Uh, what film should people remember next week, Grizz? So next week, we are going to remember my favorite movie, full stop, period. Uh, which is called The Fall, directed by Tarsum Singh. Yes. Yes. Uh, sorry, now, sorry. Say that again. It is it Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. Close. Close. The okay. Fall. Oh, <laughs> right. The Fall. Okay. Sorry. The sorry. Fall. Sorry. sorry. Uh, now. In, comma Revenge of. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that there are people out there who have already seen this movie, uh, and. Uh, and, or I hope people will want to listen to it when we're talking about it. But we're doing this because it means a lot to me. And like I said, it's my favorite movie. Yes. Uh, but a heads up to those of you who do actually listen to the podcast and then watch along with us. Uh, the Fall is not available to stream anywhere. It is. No. <laughs> and it's also not one that you're going to be able to just buy a Blu-ray or a DVD of uh, to, to keep in touch with us. It is prohibitively expensive. <laughs> $200 on Amazon media. <laughs> to buy the Blu-ray of The Fall. <laughs> Why is it so expensive? What a travesty. We'll find that out. You, you, you can't stream it anywhere, you can't rent it anywhere, and you can't really buy a physical media anywhere unless you're willing to shell out like 40 bucks. Like, what the hell? I That's, that's like, honest, honestly, that's like really concerning to me. Because this is a really great movie, and I love it. Yeah. I haven't seen it in 15 years, but like, it's a great movie, and like, no one can watch it. And I'm sure and there makes are me hundreds. That's a, that's a real problem. I think there are hundreds of movies that are like that, where it's just like... 100%. Yes. Like, it's and, gone. It's, yeah. Another one is got, another one that I wanted to pick is Strange Days, the movie Strange Days mm. by Catherine Bigelow, which is an excellent science fiction film. Impossible to find. Yeah, so uh, we're going to talk about it because I I do have it already, and so I can loan it to my, my go to your here. local library. Uh, they go might to some CD it. websites that I would not actually endorse but you know i'm kind of winky winky endorsing if, um you if know if you live in that one town in alaska you can go to blockbuster i guess like wherever that is i i would i seriously doubt that blockbuster has the fall i'm <laughs> saying but really great movie man it's it's like a it's top 10 most visually stunning movies i've ever seen like we'll talk about this next week but like 
just to just to incentivize people to go put in the effort to seek this out if they can. And if for um, some reason you are unable to find it because it is going to be difficult, uh, I'm sure there are probably clips from the movie that you can watch if you want to watch just some clips yes. so you can see the stunning visuals because that is the thing that makes me love it so much is it is yes. breathtaking. Uh, and we'll talk about it next week. So uh, thank you for listening. Grizz, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can quick? find me on Twitter at GoodGameGrizz, Letterboxd at GoodGameGrizz, uh, or Jeff Ulrich. I, don't know, I think they both pull me up when you search. And then uh, if you would also uh, follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash GoodGameGrizz. Two Z's, two Z's and Grizz. Um, you can find me at Hugo underscore Pinai on Twitter, and you can follow me at Hugo Pinai on uh, Letterboxd, and you can listen to Large Popcorn Movie Club, which we just recently did. The last movie we did was Ong Bak, and the next theme hmm. will be movies, well, películas en español, so movies in the Spanish language, so which you'll be able to vote on Twitter and in, like, about a week. Also, the, the fall seems to all be on YouTube. In 180p, so. Huh. Just okay. saying. How about that? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if, uh, what, what resolution did you say? 1080p or 180p? 1080p, it seems. He said okay, 180p, 1080p. Okay. but I think he meant 1080p. I heard 180p. No, no, no. It, <laughs> I did say resolution. 1080p, yes. Sorry. 1080p. Um, it is in 1080p. Watch it in the best resolution you can, because it is a yeah. dazzling, dazzling visual movie. Great movie. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the Sloop Josh B. You can find me on TikTok at Josh W. Bradley. You can find me on YouTube, Moves I Love So Can You. You can find me on this podcast, Remember the Film. And that's where you should find me next week as we're talking about the fall, assuming all of us can track down a copy. So please tune in then. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Why do we wave? We're not on video anymore. I don't know. I still wave. <laughs>